Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And again, flying solo, Cousin Shane, not on the show this week, at least not on this part. He's going to be featured throughout because we're still on with our SEC Media Days Rewind. We're doing it just like the events. We're talking Georgia, Auburn, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and we got interviews from Chris Marler, Saturday Now South College Football Uncensored, Braden Gall, 440 Sports Athlon, ESPN Radio, Rusty Manziel, the man himself, Mike Griffith, always, always delivers, Nathan King, Auburn, Undercover, 24-7 Sports Network, and Stefan Kreisnick from the Clarion Leisure, and Chris Lee, Vandy Sports. Let's get into it. Here And uh, like we did, I I think we liked the format last episode, starting with uh, some SEC-specific content. Before we get into the teams, let's kick it over first to Chris Marler interview. He's been on the show a number of times. He's getting better. (laughs) I kid, I kid. This is the best one he's ever done. Really fun back and forth uh, between he and I. So uh, I think you guys will really like this appearance by Chris Marler. I just right. have his camera looking directly at me, so I don't look that bad today. No, it looks great, it's I think. Lighting. Yeah. All right, yeah. Saturday, Down South's... College of All Uncensored Podcast. Chris Marler. Yeah. What else are you doing? You're doing everything. I, I Do you work for Delta? I was confused. <laughs> Delta tweets this, this weekend. No, I don't think Delta's ever going to talk to me again. I, there's a better chance of my exes talking to me than Delta, for sure. Because mm. Delta... Was the, I mean, if I wanted to fly Spirit Air, I would have flown Spirit Air. But this time it was like, listen, we are fancy Spirit Air. Mm-hmm. Maybe like if I went to like, I don't know, Hall's Chop House and I got like a McDouble. I love a McDouble. Yeah. Um, from McDonald's, it's my favorite burger. But like also, I wouldn't have gone to Hall's to fucking get that. Excuse my language. To get that. <laughs> We're not live, right? Nope. No, right. no, no. You can cuss. What, what's been the highlight of uh, Media Days? I know you, you just skipped one day. Yeah, well, I didn't skip, but <laughs> Delta forced my hand on that one. Um, I thought I thought the Kirby thing was interesting. I the way he addressed everything, I think it's very interesting. The fact that Alan Judd got fired today after all is that, of that. real? Oh, Shane, yeah. Shane tells me stuff. I don't believe yeah. him half the time. Uh, same, same. Well, honestly, Shane. Like, I mean, like same for whenever he tells me stuff. I don't believe anything he says. Um, no, so apparently that happened. I think, oh, wow. like he was, he just continues to be, I think, the most impressive person when it comes to like speaking to his team through the podium. I, mm-hmm. I just really enjoy listening yeah. to Kirby. Um, what he's building has been incredible to watch. I, I mean, like it's not a secret. Like anybody that knows me, I don't necessarily like their fans on Twitter, but I love what, watching what he's building because it's so damn impressive for just yeah. from every single angle. Um, so that part was cool. I, I thought the Bama stuff was interesting today just yeah, because. But was it, though? I mean, like, I, I know Kirby came out. It's, it felt like he had a mission and mm-hmm. a statement he wanted to get out there. But it, it felt like we got the same old Saban. Oh, I'm know. not talking about Saban oh, okay. either. I, the, the, what was interesting for me about that was the, the players being so candid about their confidence going into the season. Yeah. Usually, usually you're, like, under – you know, the leash is always on right. with Saban, right? And so um, Kool-Aid Shane was – phenomenal yeah first off um but here in like jc latham i didn't necessarily love the whole thing about our standard is still above georgia's because i think that like the just the saying the standard is the standard is still like like both those programs are elite they're both trying to win national championships one of those programs is performing 
to that standard, and that's Georgia. It's not yeah. Alabama. Um, I, I think what I, hearing that, and then Dallas Turner saying openly that they want to return to Joyless Murder Ball made yeah. me happier than anything I've felt emotionally, and I don't even know how long, <laughs> because that is like, like that's like such a Gump saying, like Gump Twitter type yeah. thing of being like Joyless Murder Ball. But that's what I know you hate him, but like I, that's why I'm excited about the Tommy Reese thing. Not just because when I wear a hat we look alike, but I mean also because of the fact that like I think they're going to get back to running the football behind a massive offensive line, and I think that that. That schedule's going to be tough early with, with Texas, I but I love the fact they get, you know, some of those games that were close last year, yeah. they were on the road, they get all of them at home. I know that's the game plan, but what happens if the offensive line does not live up to yeah. it? I, I'm not a big believer in the offensive line coach. Mm-hmm. They've had a number of five stars, mm-hmm. and they, they haven't lived up to the hype. What, yeah. what gives you the confidence that they can just flip that? I, I think that, like, at some point, like Latham and who was the other? They've run in two five stars. They're the number top one, two is Brock Meyer or something like that. Yeah. He's out of TCU now. Bama has missed a lot on the last couple of years. Um, in term, you could say they miss, or they might just not be developing them. Like right. they're definitely not developing at the same talent level as as Kirby is in Athens by any means. I think that the amount of of like just sheer size they brought in, like Caden Proctor, this you know the six eight kid from Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to have a, a chance to play early. I just have a feeling that, like, not to make an excuse, but I do think that you saw it more through these past recruiting cycles It's some places where you did miss on some of these, like, these recruiting rankings and these five stars because of, like, the COVID years. And, like, it's hard to, like, necessarily get out and see. Like, I mean, a lot of these kids are robbed of their senior seasons anyway. Um, I, I think that's probably contributed to some of it, not just at Bama, but in general in college football. I do think there's a lack of development, and I do think at receiver and offensive line specifically – I just think that at some point it has to get back to what it was. Um, but, I mean, I, I could be totally wrong. So, like you said, if, if you know, what's the Mike Tyson thing? Everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Yeah. Yep. If, I mean, that. What the scary, the scary thing is for Alabama is if you get to November and you've lost to Tennessee again and you've lost to Texas, I think they're losing to Texas. If you lose both those games and you have no chance of winning a national championship and you then you're going into November, yeah, and then you get LSU and then you got to go on the road to Jordan Hare and at Auburn, then I could see the whole three four loss type situation because what do you have? To, what are they going to play for? Right. That that's like the nightmare. If you, if Bama did sneak into the playoffs last year, oh my god, who would have won the national championship? Not Bama. They you shouldn't have been okay. in the playoff. No. I just want to make sure. No. Like, like that was. I, I remember when everybody was asking that. Like like 2017. Here, here's here's been my thing about Ohio State, right? Like they they won the SC, or they won the Big Ten or something mm-hmm. like that one year, and um, but they lost at Purdue, right? By like twenty eight or thirty one or something like that to an unranked team. The thing that's different, and I know you like to bring this up all the time, like that game they lost at A and M was the first game they lost to an unranked team in a hundred games. Mm-hmm. First time in a hundred games they had lost, haven't lost one since. Um, but I think that yeah, they should not have been in the playoff. And if they yeah. did, l- listen, if we're being honest. As like a diehard like Bama fan, growing up and stuff like that, but also an objective, rational person sometimes when I haven't been drinking. Um, starting today. Starting today. <laughs> this is a new beginning. <laughs> um, I wanted no part of Georgia. Yeah. I, I wanted no part of Georgia. I didn't want to play. I wouldn't have wanted to play tennis. There's there's five or six teams. I don't think Bama would have would have beaten last year, and we saw they did. They didn't yeah. beat. Yeah. Yeah. Are you mentally prepared? Oh God. For Vol Twitter. <laughs> Tennessee whoops Bama's ass in Bryant Denny this season. I'm not mentally prepared for Vol Twitter ever. Okay. Ever. <laughs> That's the right but last year Vol Twitter was so awful 
to me personally because of a accurate prediction that I made. I can't imagine if I say that they're going to lose to Bama and then they beat him. I can't imagine like the just the vicious attacks that would come from that. That that is like, and I get that it's Vault Twitter, but last year was a little bit. It, last year I did not enjoy. I, and, enjoy. I will say Vault Twitter obviously has had the crown for a while. Of but what? There's just volatile. <laughs> yeah. Twitter base. Yeah. But let me ask you. There's some other programs sneaking up that list. Is there? If you were to power rank two and three, oh, Georgia's up there. Georgia's up there. there there's. I've, I coined this phrase last year, and it's like, I still, I still. I, you're starting to see it now, but this whole like, I call it being horny for disrespect. <laughs> like this whole this whole idea of like nobody respects us. Like it, that was so wild to watch. And you see, okay, here's here's the thing. I, and I hate to give this guy even like any fucking mention at all, but I'm going to. There, I'm not going to say his name, but there's a guy on Twitter a couple weeks ago who put out a list, and he started listing people by name, like actual people in the media. Mm-hmm. This guy has Bama. This guy has Bama. This guy has Michigan. This guy has – and, like, I'm looking over this list because somebody sent it to me, I, I, and I was like, "There's no, none of this is real. Nobody has said this. Like, yeah. no, like he's like, we're getting so disrespected by the national media. And then you see it become a story from, like, Dog Nation Daily, which is, like, an actual, I thought, like, credible – and probably still, you know, is a credible, like, source. And they're like – Georgia just wants – I mean, Georgia fans just want to feel, like, respected. Like, they're the – and acknowledged as the number one team in the country. And right. you, look, you flip through Phil Steele or Lindy's or Athlon, and it's like they're number one in everything. Yeah. Like, just because one person said <laughs> – like, I, I just – that that is the worst one. Ohio State has always kind of been up there. Yeah. Bama's Bama's tough. Bama's but Bama's fans are worse in real life. Yeah, I mean they're they're bad in general, but they're worse in real life for sure. Um, Does Alabama lose three games or four games this year? You have to pick one. You have to pick one. If I have to pick one, I would say I would say four between the two. Yeah, um, me too. Me too. I know. I know you two. You've been doing this for. I just this is this is like. I mean, yeah. Listen, let me just tell you a story, Mike. I, I, I thought I was going to get married, and look at how that turned out. Remember, I just kept just <laughs> yep. kept moving the date back. Yep. Um, that's kind of what you've been doing with this four-loss prediction. That's usually the first sign. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thanks a lot, COVID. Um, yeah, so I, I – yeah, anyway. No, I, I think I think that what what scares me is I brought that whole thing up earlier about, like, the getting to November. Mm-hmm. There's a real chance that Auburn wins five games in a row going into Jordan Hare for that game. And if you mm-hmm. if you're a two or three loss Bama team with nothing on the horizon, like you don't have like say you lose to Texas and then you lose LSU. So your national championship hopes are hanging on by a thread and probably aren't really there, right? You'd have right. to win out and win the SEC to have a chance. Um, but if you lose to LSU and LSU is what, they have one loss and they have the tiebreaker? Yeah. You walk into Jordan Hare with nothing to play for. And and we saw how that looked in like you know, in other years, like 2013, when they did have a lot to play for, or, or like 2017, when they were number one in the country. I don't – the last time – I don't remember the last time they've gone to Jordan Hare with nothing on the line. I just don't think it would go – I don't – that is that is the worst possible scenario for Alabama, is to walk into that game. Because I, I think that that has a chance, just like with Heupel, with Saban probably on his way out the door in the next three to five years, you have a chance to turn those rivalries back and take all the momentum for both Tennessee and Auburn for the next several years before they figure out who's going to be the next coach. Yeah. As an Alabama guy, who scares you more, Hugh Freeze at Auburn or Jimbo at A&M? <laughs> Listen, it's it's I can answer on both sides because or steps with in, old age. I mean, <laughs> I mean we, we got to throw that out there. 
mean, first you said off. three to five years. I mean, okay. I, what would that put saving at? 92? 93? No, first, he's only 71. But I'm glad that you said steps with old age because what I was going to say, what scares me about Jimbo is in, this, in Biden's economy, just getting crippled here with a $67 million buyout is outrageous. Um, I, think, I think the answer is Hugh because we've already seen what he can do recruiting. He, he does such a – see, here's the thing. He, what people don't talk about enough with Hugh Freeze is the quick turnarounds that he's been able to have. When he was at Arkansas State, right, he won 10 games his first year. Arkansas State didn't have a winning season for 15 years prior to him getting there. He goes 10 He gets ten wins year one. Ole Miss, they had Wait, lost – that can't be right. That's 1,000% right. Wasn't Brian Harson there and Gus Malzahn there? They didn't After have winning him, seasons? At Arkansas State? He was the first? Yeah. They, they had they had one okay they had one in the last twenty three years and it was nineteen ninety five, and they they went six and five, Before, in the twenty three oh. years prior yeah the, the, him great. getting there that was great yeah so they um they <laughs> they were on a roll that year <laughs> um, but no I think I think that like when you look at Ole Miss Ole Miss had a losing record in six of the eight years prior to that they had one SEC win in the two years combined prior to him getting there one in fifteen he goes he gets three wins he wins the Egg Bowl takes him to a bowl game in year one. Um, the quick turnaround, and now he has a place where he can recruit to and, and has resources. Because, yeah. like, you guys are Tennessee guys. I've, I've said this since the start of NIL. Places like like Tennessee, Miami, I think, will probably at some point hopefully make a turn. But places like Tennessee where you have a national footprint to recruit yeah. from and a, and a very starved fan base and booster-like like group that wants to win now, man, that, that's Auburn. Like, they, they, will, they want to win. They want to win now. And, again – they have a real good opportunity to turn the whole thing around from well, from Alabama. Well, going off that, I mean, we 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 talked about Brian Kelly. Mike's got him winning a national championship. Stupid, yeah, I mean, for year sure. two, I agree. No. But genius, the pressure. You know, I mean, Hugh Freeze coming in, the expectations are already high. Mm-hmm. You know, because the only stat they're throwing out there is how many times he's actually beaten Nick Saban. Right. You know what I'm right. saying? So. Like, how quick do you think this thing ramps up where they're actually competing with Alabama? I mean, I think in the nightmare scenario I said earlier, I think they can compete with a lot of things going their way this year. I would say year three yeah. is probably the one for me, and strictly because they get him back in Jordan-Hare. He's going to have his players in. Because um, he, he mentioned this several times yesterday. I thought it was kind of telling. He, he brought up the fact that he, he said, at one, point, at one point in time, I thought I was one of the best play callers in all of college football. And what makes you a great play caller a lot of times is the players you have to call those plays for. And we had a lot of great players at Ole Miss and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, he obviously he had Malik, what's his name, Willis at, at, at uh, Liberty. But he mentioned, he said, we don't, we don't really have that. He's like, I like our roster. I like our QB room better than probably most. But, like, we don't have the roster. And he listed off, like, five or six teams. I think he included Florida in there, which yeah. is like, damn, if, you're not, if your roster's not up there with Florida, <laughs> we got a problem. Um, but I think he will turn that around very quickly. And in yeah. year three, when you get you get him back in Jordan Hare, I think I think they'll start competing then. It's just it's, but it's also tough because now you got OU yeah. and Texas coming in. Have you, Have you done your ballot yet? No, no. no. Who, do you, who do you have winning the West? Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Don't start with me. <laughs> oh, like okay. First off, how many years have you had them winning the West? Last year. You did. I was wrong. Yeah. Bullshit. That was the last year. Who's the third? Who do you got third in the East? Third in the East. Oh, that's tough. So I think Hypo's got a lot to show me, but I have them at two. I do. Yeah. Um, I think Kentucky's going to be better than people think. And it's so, it's because of something you said about how their their schedule is basically just Georgia's. But you look at their logo and it's blue and white instead of red and black. Right. And that's all we're talking about. So I think I think that Kentucky is going to have a good season. It's the schedule. It could be kind of tough. 
But I just think they have an improvement at quarterback, man. I do. And, and I, I'm going to continue to, I guess, disrespect Shane Beamer ignorantly yeah. <laughs> and dumbly because he's proven me wrong every step of the way. Yeah. And since I live in Columbia, South Carolina now, I kind of just want to keep that train rolling for good luck because um, it's so awesome what he's been able to do. But that schedule's not easy, man. Yeah. What's the vibes like down there? They're, they're hot as, as shit. It's so hot. <laughs> the expectations, though. I mean, they're they're all fired up, right? They are. They're they're real fired up. And I think I think more than anything is um, beating Clemson last year was just like the monkey off your back on that, and doing it in in Death Valley, right? Yeah. Um, the back to back wins, beating Tennessee was cool. I think for them, and you know, you put up all these points. I think that's a they, signature win for a lot of people. Is it? For Georgia State, it was for sure. So um, I think that when you talk about Tennessee going there, that's a revenge game, obviously, this year. Um, but South Carolina beating Clemson the next week. Yeah. I think if you replay that Tennessee game, even if Milton plays the whole game, nine times out of ten, I think Tennessee wins that game. But if you're talking about Clemson going down there and beating them, they, they would. I think they would have traded that for anything else that happened last year. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, obviously, they like to remind Vol fans of the score. Yeah, but they ran out of fireworks. Everybody I talk to, it's like not even close, not right. even a second guess. It's Clemson. Well, I mean, let's think about y'all's season last year, right? You yeah. start this year, you have this great win at Pitt. You go to Death Valley, take over the stadium, run them out of the building, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, like, I'm kind of making a joke, but it's it's real because it's a rivalry. And, it, and people forget how intense the Bama-Tennessee rivalry was. I mean, yeah. you... We didn't like each other for a long time. and I still you, don't. That's fair. I mean, no one hates me as much as I hate myself, so that's fine. That's <laughs> my therapist always says. But, like, with Tennessee and Bama, that was a very intense rivalry, even though it was kind of streaky. Um, I mean, Tennessee, we, they printed books afterwards about, like, the, the season, and we're halfway through because yeah. of how significant of a win that was. And, and I tell you, one thing I do, I do respect about it is there's a little bit from both of those teams, there's a little bit of 2019 LSU feelings about it where yeah. – yeah, we went 11-2. and two. We lost to Georgia. We lost to South Carolina. But by God, we won that game. And you cannot take that away from us. And like, and, and so we're, there's like this feeling of not complacency, but like being content and happy, even though you might not have got to ultimately where you wanted to be. Because it's like, again, a monkey off your back and a yeah. huge program win for two, two really young coaches. Is there a team in the SEC that you think everyone's sleeping on? I mean, Mike with Alabama for sure. Um, I kind of, I kind of feel like A and M a little bit. I yeah. kind of feel like A and M, and I kind of feel like, uh, like, like I don't think Mizzou is going to win the SEC East. Yeah. But I do think they're going. They returned eight, eight or nine starters. However, you want to look at it on that defense. That was a pretty stingy defense last year. Yeah. Um, I don't think they beat Georgia, obviously, but I didn't think they'd play them that close a year ago either. So uh, I think people are sleeping on or on Mizzou. I think people are sleeping on A&M just because the roster still has a yeah. ton of talent. And, and, like, man, there's just no way they could be as bad as they were last year. I mean, they were awful. <laughs> they were, that offense was awful. Yeah. Um, still almost beat Bama, beat LSU, um, like, you know, close in that Auburn game. I, I think there's a there's a reason. Like, if you look at Bobby Petrino's offenses, man, I think a lot of people – I looked into this a little bit just because – with Ryan Mallett passing, everyone, you know, like you look yep. back at some of those Arkansas teams, people forget how good those Arkansas teams were because of Bama and LSU yeah. being so good as well. But Bobby Petrino can still dial it up, man. And, and I, I think that they, they will have a big turnaround this year. Yeah. They better hope he does. they do. Give me your hottest take preseason. I'm going to lose the weight. I'm gonna <laughs> 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 it's the same with us, man. Yeah. That's our take. Every That's, year. Every year. Um, I might oh, wait, they got cake? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have had. I have had. 
I've been in Nashville for like a little over 24 hours now, and I've had six hot dogs, which is outrageous. That is not that is not okay. Um, hottest take for this year? I don't think a team from the SEC wins the national title. Wow! I think oh, Ohio yeah. State wins the national title this year. Sorry. <laughs> God, let's get his wow. ass off the show. Well, okay, is, so that is we can still edit this. Yeah, know? I mean, so, <laughs> I'm sure Mike will find a way to edit it, like to where I say something horrifically bad. Um, no, I, I think I think that Ohio State is going to be way more talented than people yeah. think, and they also get the benefit of playing the Big Ten. Uh, people, Do you like, think? Well, let me ask you on that on that note because last year that's that's what everybody talks about is a game of inches. Mm-hmm. Ohio State barely lost that against Georgia. But then you see Georgia kind of come out, and, and it feels like some of these games that they really are dialed in on, Tennessee mm-hmm. being one of them, mm-hmm. TCU being another, it just feels like they just came out and just beat the shit out of them. Yeah. Do you think if Ohio State, knowing what that, the way it happened, if they got down and played the very next week, do you think we still have a close game between Ohio State and Georgia? Oh, man, Georgia fans are going to hate hearing this, but does Marvin Harrison Jr. play the everybody, game? Everybody's healthy. Ohio, yeah. Ohio State, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, and here's the thing. Georgia knocked him out of mm-hmm. that game, and they won that game. And then, yeah. and after the first quarter, he was—we didn't hear from him, and, and they—and they made the adjustments. People forget that Georgia team is—they is, averaged forty-six point six yeah. points per game against ranked opponents last year. I mean, they were incredible all season, and that includes the Tennessee game where they put, took their foot off the gas for an entire half of the game. Yeah. And it rained. Um, it rained too. Yeah, <laughs> I, I heard all your fans yeah. talk about that. That—that uh, oh. that was something else. No, I, I think that. Ohio State was a very good team, and I know what happened at Michigan. Yeah. I, I get all that, or at, ho- at home against Michigan. But Ryan Day is one of the best, probably top three offensive minds in all of college football up there with Sark and with, with Kiffin. And, you know, he showed that. And, and especially when you have Stroud and you have all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That was just – I said before the season, I said I had Georgia losing to Ohio State in the national championship. Mm-hmm. And that was my prediction. I had Georgia winning the SEC still and all that kind of stuff. And it was pretty close, obviously. It seemed like that was probably the national championship. Yeah. Um, I just think that, like, with with when you have all that talent, like Ryan Day, is a great offensive mind, and he also had all the pieces in place that could have beaten that Georgia team. Yeah. But it also takes a, you know, Herculean effort to beat Kirby Smart and Georgia, and not a lot of people have done it. Actually, only one one team has done it in the last two years. So it's brought to you by Chris from Saturday Up North. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on down to Sundays up north. Uh, it's my new website. Um, we appreciate you, man. Yeah, of course. We man. give you a hard time, but uh, yeah. you really are one of our favorites to talk to. So we love having you on. Tell the audience where to find you before you take off. All right. My home address is 337. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, it's Vern Funquist. That's for you, Ollie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ollie, as always. Hope you're having a great, great week. And if you're not, I hope it only gets worse. But, um, no, I, I – so Vern Funquist on Twitter and Instagram. Um, the podcast is the College Football Uncensored podcast uh, and all that good stuff. And like I always say, every time I'm on here, I'm so happy and proud of you guys for all the, the great work you all have done and, and continued success, man. So cheers to that. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you, guys. you. All right, I told you. That was a good one, right? So next on the docket, friend of the show, Braden Gall. Love talking ball with Braden. One of the smartest guys out there when it comes to SEC football. So let's kick it over to our interview, Braden Gall, 440 Sports. Yeah, so we're here with Braden Gall, 440 Sports, Athlon Sports, and he's not been outside in about six weeks. <laughs> Apparently not. I, I, uh, I sleep during the day. Uh, I work at night. 
uh, <laughs> vampire here. Uh, yes, that's what hosting Feinbaum will do for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how was that? I, th- I thought you did a great job with that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I thought you were wonderful as well. Uh, anything else? Like, Shane, you were great. I think <laughs> we, were all, we were all great. We were, just, we were so good together. It was wonderful. Yeah, but that, I mean, that's got to be a high honor. I mean, there's, there's only a handful of people they would even consider for such right. a role, you know, and you're, you're there. Uh, it, it is. I didn't mean to bring that up like that, uh, but it, it is. It means a lot to me personally. Like, to, it, like I lost – so ESPN hired me before the pandemic, and then I, they basically, you know, everybody who was a part-time or weekend or anything like that was not working during that period of time. And, mm-hmm. and so, a, you know, hundreds of people were not working. And I told myself, if I and my wife, like if I had ever, if they never came back to me and I never worked again for ESPN, I got my one year, I got my contract, I got to interview Coach O and Joe Burrow at the Heisman Trophy ceremony because I was doing ESPN Radio on Saturday night for the Heisman. Yeah. And like, if I never once got to to work there again, I was fine. Yeah. Uh, totally comfortable with it. And now, having done Fine Bomb, I don't know, a couple. Christmases and holidays, you know, it's only when he takes off. He doesn't take very many days off. <laughs> um, like, if you told me right now, ESPN called me tomorrow, I'm like, yeah, you're done. Like, you're part of the layoffs that happened, which I'm not expensive enough to be part of the layoffs. <laughs> um, but if I was part of the layoffs, I'd have been like, hell yeah, dude. Like, I got to talk to Jim in Tuscaloosa. Jim hates yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, Jim hates me. And, like... That's how you know you're doing a good I, job, I, I man calls in to defend me. And, like, AC in Bangladesh, my man. Like, it's yeah. just... Like, I, I don't know. It's very it's very surreal uh, yeah. to be such a fan of, of his work and the show and to know what it means to people in the Southeast and then to get to do it. And then people hate you for it because you're not Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you <laughs> Which this, Which is totally though, understandable. So. Because, the, uh, you know, people give his collars. They give a lot of fans, you know, uh, a bad, bad rap. But they're so great, in my opinion, because they are knowledgeable. Yeah. Because they know what the hell they're talking about. And if you miss... Football. If you miss they know what they're talking about in football. Well, right. th- and that's, yeah. that's what we're talking about. They don't know anything else. <laughs> <laughs> if you mispronounce a guy's name or position, I mean, they're all oh, yeah, your yeah, ass yeah, because yeah. they know yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Is there anything in, the, in that time that maybe uh, one of the callers came in and you had, it made you kind of rethink an opinion or maybe you learned something? I was kind of curious about that. It, about, about football, probably often. Um, yeah. Because what I love about doing radio, and this goes back to, you know, we're hanging out with you guys on this kind of platform. Podcast is a little bit more difficult, but live elements, live radio has been my whole career. Series XM, I worked for for a long time on the college channel. And, like, having the conversation is always what's mattered to me. And sometimes that means I might be talking with you about something. Yeah. And we're talking Missouri schedule or defensive line. And all of a sudden, like, okay, I think about this. And a lot of the callers are that good on that show, even if they're a bunch of Looney Tunes. Like, they're, they are the best sports fact checkers you could ever find. Yeah. And, I, and I would argue not just Feinbaum callers. Like, people that are dedicated to their channel, and especially on, oh, for sure. on, on Sirius where it's like the hockey channel, the golf channel. The, you know, like, the people who listen to those channels are diehards. And they're the best fact checkers in the world. They cannot do that on any other aspect of their lives. Yeah. Like, <laughs> cannot do it. <laughs> Incapable of, of acknowledging certain very, like, obvious realities. But if I get the height and weight wrong on the back of Alabama <laughs> linebacker, they are going to call my ass on that. Are you ever worried about that? Like, there's that bastard. You're just out in public. You run into <laughs> no, him. Nobody, nobody recognizes me, which is great. Um, but, like, on, on, and I think we've joked about this, but if you take five seconds out of your day yeah. to call 
my show or a show that I'm hosting or to open up Twitter and tell me that my opinion sucks ass and I'm a dumbass, <laughs> I'm like, I'm honored by that, man. <laughs> like, you, you took time out of your day to tell, to, to like tell me that? Awesome. Yeah. And, and some of that's just living in radio world for 20 years. Yeah. Like, you just... It comes with the territory. If I ever, uh, we can cuss, right, on the show? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Like, oh, if, yeah. if I, I, my wife doesn't understand it because yeah. she's like a social media lurker. She doesn't, like, <laughs> post anything ever. Yeah. But she gets on Instagram and, like, looks at stuff. I don't, I'm not on Instagram at all. Twitter's my drug of choice. But, like, if I ever want a big, if I ever need to be told, fuck you, <laughs> I could just open up the phone, open up Twitter, and I'm good to go. <laughs> You're uh, good. Jump on Paul. It won't be those words, but, like, I could, <laughs> yeah. I could just say something about Alabama having questions this year and, you know, this is a more interesting season than Alabama. I, Auburn, I said this one a couple weeks ago. I think Auburn fans are genuinely more excited about their football team this year than Alabama fans are. Yeah. Alabama fans, there's it's layered and laced with, like, this, this these questions underneath. Yeah. We're going to win the Natty. But, like, are we going to win the Natty? And Auburn fans are like, <laughs> fucking Hugh Freeze, man. <laughs> and you say that on the air, and Alabama fans are, what? Yeah. No, yeah. whatever, man. It's like... <laughs> Great. Thank you for taking the time to tell me I'm an idiot. I'm honored to be here. Absolutely. I'm glad you went there because uh, our, our buddy Stephen Lassen, great job. I mean, he, he, I don't think there's anyone better in terms of uh, just being a college football encyclopedia. That's what I like to call him. But he told me that you influenced him in picking oh, no. Alabama to win the West. And I think he's kind of regretting that. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for him. But he did put I that like in I like speaking me. for him all the time. <laughs> are, are you staying by that? Alabama, number one in the West for you I, right honestly, now. Honestly, I I need to – this is a terrible answer for sports talk because I'm supposed to have a take. and like, But, like, I honestly still don't know. I'm yeah. two days – we're, we're taping this on <laughs> Tuesday. Like, I'm two days into this. Yeah. And I've talked to dozens of people who I respect, some people that are inside programs, some people that are outside programs, some people that are really good at covering this stuff, and I still am not sure. Um I, I think there's a great case for both of them. I, my my issue is is that if the schedule for Bama was last year, I would have no questions. Yeah. I think I would go LSU. Uh, but LSU having to go to Tuscaloosa, Tennessee on the road at Alabama. Alabama gets Texas at home. Like They're a different team on the road. They struggled in all those games last year, but they get all the big games at home. Like, who, who's their toughest road game? Kentucky? Yeah. Mississippi State? Like. Maybe they lose one of those. Maybe they A and M. The one I would say that they lose is A and M because A yeah. and M clearly gets up for that game. Mm-hmm. The problem for A and M is they don't get up for any other games. <laughs> it's just the Alabama <laughs> game that they get up for. There's a drug for that, I think. <laughs> but I, I think they, I think they lose. I think Alabama loses Texas A and M. Yeah. And they go 11 and 0 the rest of the year. And I don't know how much that the quarterback matters. I don't know how much Tommy Reese matters. Right. LSU's got a better version of both of those positions. Better, maybe a better offensive line. Maybe better star power in the defensive front seven with Mason Smith and Harold Perkins. But Alabama's pretty damn good, too. Yeah. So right. I, I just think the schedule sets up for Bama to, to rebound a little bit. Um, and, again, rebound in air quotes because they were still two plays away from being 12-0 and 0 last year. Um, I, it's, what's ironic about your – and, Stephen, last time I'm talking to you, big guy. <laughs> uh, what's ironic is that I was the one who thought Alabama and LSU should be, like, five and six outside of the playoff. Right. Um, and f- Stephen is largely responsible for the Athlon Sports Magazine rankings. I am sort of a consigliere who gets to help when he's really struggling with the decision, and I help out with that. I was torn on Alabama early. I'm still torn on Alabama, but I still think they're the top two roster in America. They have the greatest coach of all time. They get a bunch of big games at home. It's very hard. Like, I don't know where you guys fall on this, but yeah. honestly, I would probably have LSU and Alabama like four and five. 
right. nationally. The question is, can losing to Georgia for either of them get them into the playoff? Yeah. Which would be top four, and I don't know how that works. Like that, LSU's got a much tougher schedule. They're not as mature, 1-85. Uh, not personality, but like program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see LSU dropping one. You know, Ole Miss is a tough game. Uh, at Alabama, Florida State's going to be a real big challenge in week one. I don't know. I don't know where you guys fall, but, like, right now it's Bama by, like, a 51-49. Yeah. Bama, but I don't think either of them can make the playoff unless they can beat Georgia. And I don't, I'm not picking either one to beat Georgia in, in the SEC championship game. Right. I think that opens the path up for some other team that we're not talking about. Let me ask you, a lot of great sources here. We've talked to a lot of great people. And, and is there anybody – Maybe that's losing stock in your mind. Uh, is there any teams that maybe you feel like you were a little too high on? That's a great question because everybody's so happy yeah. in the SEC, which should be terrifying for every coach <laughs> and fan base <laughs> because there's no way it's going to work out for everybody. There's too many good teams, too many losses. Uh, Arkansas, South Carolina, and Tennessee are the three that I've talked about on our show that be careful. Yeah. If, if expectations for all three of those are top 20, which Tennessee probably will be, Arkansas will be close, South Carolina will be just probably behind that. If the expectations for those three teams are to be ten or nine or ten wins, mm-hmm. I think they're going to be closer to eight wins. Yeah. But nobody that's changed since being here. I haven't talked to anybody. I, I think South Carolina is getting the most, and this is, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Because I actually really like Why Shane. do you hate South Carolina? I, hate <laughs> he hates I love Shane Beamer. I love the receiving core. I love the tight end. I think Rattler has his best season. I, you know, like, they have such a hard schedule. Right. And there are so many 50-50 games on it. And I just, if expectations are not to take another step from where they were, same with Tennessee. I think that's hard. I think Arkansas could get a game better because KJ's healthy and Danny Enos does the work with him to make him a more efficient passer, and they win a couple games, and all of a sudden they, they take a step forward. Right. Um, but South Carolina, I, I think it's going to be hard for Tennessee and South Carolina to match next year, last year's totals. And so if they take one game back, are fans okay with that? Do they understand it? Right. We yeah. already have our own bourbon bet. He's betting Tennessee 8. I think I said Tennessee 10. I think, I think it was 9.5, but I'm okay with whatever we decide now okay okay well, <laughs> if I'll you said 10 i say eight that'll be fine nine we split the bet right right i think that's what it was i think that was but that's a point you've been making all off season that a lot of optimism all across the sec again we'll see how that lasts uh once losses start piling up potentially and things of that nature but do you think that is a product and going back to your uncertainty who's going to win the west everybody's got georgia in the east but right, right. aside from that uh, do you think that's a product of NIL and the transfer portal? Because I look at programs like Auburn right now. Five years ago, if you took that over, they'd be like, we're going to be good in a couple years, but our line of scrimmage is awful. We have no weapons. The we don't have a quarterback. Rebound quickly. You can flip it. Kelly flipped it. They, they've got a secondary now. Heupel flipped it because of transfers. Shane Beamer, same thing, on and on and on. I think that's a product of uh, the transfer portal on NIL. I think it's a factor. I think it's also – and I know you guys have both talked about Kentucky and Missouri, right? Like yeah. you guys, throughout the course of the last few weeks, you guys are both kind of like, I kind of like Kentucky to be better. I kind of like Missouri to be better. Right. Um, and, and that's the same. I think it's, number one, I think it's a function of just the year that we're in. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just have crazy years. When you take 
Bryce Young, reigning Heisman Trophy winner, the greatest single quarterback season in Tennessee football history. Yeah. And Hendon Hooker, also an NFL draft pick. Will Levis. Will Levis. He's, <laughs> he's, he, he's a first-round grade and probably a 10-year starting quarterback in the NFL. Had one of the best seasons for Kentucky two years ago. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Yeah. But pretty good player yeah. for everybody that hates him. Pretty good player. He's gone. Two-time defending national champ and starting quarterback. He's gone. Like, you take that kind of star power off the quarterbacks. And, and 12 different offensive coordinators. Yeah. 12 different offensive coordinators. The only two that return are LSU and Vanderbilt with their starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not 12 different. I should say 12 different quarterback coordinator combinations. Right. I mean, Josh Heupel lost his coordinator, but does that really count? Yeah. Uh, probably not. So I think it's – and each one of those teams you mentioned, it's different. They rebounded for different reasons. Lane Kiffin's doing it because he's going into the portal, mm-hmm. to your point. I think that's how they go from a 10-2 and two season with Matt Corral and a historically great team, and they stay relevant is because of the portal and because of NIL. I think that's for real. Auburn's NIL is off the charts productive because of Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. Not Strangely, didn't work that well when Brian Harson was the coach. <laughs> so that's all lined up, right? And right. so that's why they're excited. Also, just a new coach excitement. Florida's taking a lot longer because mm-hmm. they have to build out all this infrastructure, but I think it's showing progress finally on the recruiting yeah. trail. South Carolina di- does it with, like, really good South Carolina fans listen up they've done it with like elite game management like Shane Beamer is great on game day like what they do as a staff and as a team is they manage the game better than anybody else like they're playing like more often than not they're making the right call right fourth down great special teams it's modern Beamer ball and he's maximizing talent that frankly is not comparable to to some of the teams Brian Kelly bounced back at LSU because recruiting at LSU is not a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And Brian Kelly's a Hall of Famer. Josh Heupel, because his offensive system has a high floor, right? Like, and he hit with his quarterback transfer in Hendon Hooker. So it's kind of different reasons for everybody, um, which, again, to me, covering this league long enough, you guys have been around long enough, somebody's going to be pissed yeah. at the end of the year. I, I don't know if that's Eli Drinkwitz. I don't know <laughs> if that's Sam Pittman. I don't know if that's, you know, Zach Arnett. Right. I... I don't know who's going to be upset, but like three or four fan bases are not going to achieve because there's too many good games. Yeah, and I don't know who it is right now. I, I feel pretty comfortable you with Alabama, get, LSU. You just got me thinking. I I have not thought of this yet because I'm so high on this team this year, and I know I think you are fairly too. Kentucky, what happens if the bottom falls out? And that that'd be two years in a row. Like let's say they lose to Vandy two years in a row. Yeah. Or, do bad. we start to get to a hot seat? Uh, no, but because I. There's questions about Mitch Barnhart and how he is. Mm-hmm. Is he the right athletic director for the future of Kentucky football? He has done extraordinary things for the program. But I think the fans are kind of like, and for all the programs, like baseball, softball, basketball. He, I mean, he and Calipari don't talk at all. Right. But he's done so much. The question is, is he the right guy for the next generation of Kentucky sports? I say all that to say expectations have been risen. Mark Stoops is the kind of the greatest football coach in Kentucky history, not named Bear Bryant, I guess. Yeah. I, I think... Fans now, to your point, are expecting eight, seven, eight, nine wins more often, and that's pressure. But I think they also kind of understand that Mitch Barnhart has kept him from using NIL, finally letting him sell beer for crying out loud, like <laughs> in the stadium. But like, there's been some self limitations yeah. on Kentucky. I, I think his, I think Mark Stoops' formula for success at, at Kentucky is perfect, which is take the biggest players from Kentucky. 
take the second-tier players from Ohio, take the third-tier players from Florida, Georgia, and Texas. And I'm going to put them all together, develop them like crazy, hire great coordinators other than last year, <laughs> hire great coordinators, <laughs> and really develop these guys and buy into the culture from the beginning. And if the NIL can actually kick in for them, that's where they could take some steps. I, I wouldn't say hot seat, no. If they're 4-8, and eight, sure. Nobody can go 4-8 right. in this league other than Vanderbilt and not be on the hot seat. But What about best-case scenario? I mean, I know they got Alabama – but let's let's just say everything comes together with the with these guys. What do you think best case scenario Kentucky walks away with? I, I, I mean, they've had two ten win seasons in the right. last few years. Devin Leary is one of the most underrated players in this conference because nobody in the SEC watches the ACC, and that's fair. It's yeah. kind of boring. But Devin Leary's not. Liam Cohen is not. Look at the yards per play, the efficiency metrics for Kentucky's offense in 2021. Versus every other year that Kentucky has had a football team under Mark Stoops, and there's one offense that was better than everyone else, and it was yeah. Levis and Cohen. I think the offensive line will be better, can't be worse. One of the best receiving cores in school history. I, I think people are totally sleeping on Ray Davis. I think people, the defensive line, is they're all like monsters, yeah. <laughs> like huge creatures that Mark Stoops is going to develop. And they get, what, Florida and Tennessee at home? Yeah. Uh, there's some things that are lining up for Kentucky. I really like Kentucky, mm-hmm. and everybody here in Nashville seems to like them too, which, again, gives me pause. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's talking up Kentucky, and I thought I was going to come in with Kentucky as, like, my sleeper team, and I think everybody's kind of with us. I know you guys are both there too, yeah. so we better be careful. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's your hottest of hot takes here at Media Days? Georgia doesn't win the national championship? Yeah. Oh, is that a hot okay. take? No. I mean, well, okay, I guess it is. I don't know. Is it, I mean – I mean, they're clearly number one in the country. Right. Right. Do you but, th- but do you think, okay, so they don't make a national championship. Do you think it's because they lose games during the season or they drop in the college football playoffs? I, I think they lose one in the playoff. Okay. Probably. Um, and, again, this is not, that's why it's not really a hot take. Like, yeah. oh, I think, I, think, I think one team won't win the national championship. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's always smarter to go with the field. It's not, yeah. it's not that hot of a take, but, there's, but they are so clearly number one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Questions at quarterback for Alabama, questions at Ohio State quarterback. Michigan's roster is never going to be good enough to beat them head-to-head. You know, USC's defense, Pac-12 defenses in general, Texas just a giant question mark across right. the board, but could be very good, could also be Texas. So it's just there's just uh, is LSU's the one uh, the the team that I think is sne- there's two teams that I think are really sneaky that I think could beat them. One I think is prepared to do it now if they get there, and I think the other one is quarterback dependent, mm-hmm. and that is Florida State. I think it absolutely beat them in a head-to-head one-game situation. Great pass rush, NFL defensive line, elite quarterback play, weapons all over the place. Best offensive line Florida State's had in a long time. I think in a one-game situation, could you get them into an Ohio State-Georgia type game? I think Florida State could do that. I think USC could do that. The one to keep an eye on, though, and this is a team nobody's really talking about, to come out of the Big Ten and play in the playoff is Penn State. Mm-hmm. My question is the coach. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, James Franklin cannot manage the end of a football game. Opposite of Shane Beamer. Shane right. Beamer knows how to do everything right at the end of a game. James Franklin cannot. Uh, but they have an elite offensive line. They have an elite defensive line, and they got probably the number one pick in the draft two years from now. And Drew Aller, quarterback, if he deb- that good, huh? If he hits. Heard it here first. Number one pick in the draft two two drafts from now. Uh-huh. He's a rising sophomore. Okay. Uh, so not the Caleb Williams draft, but the draft after that. I, I think 
if he is as good as his pedigree says, he's. I mean, we're talking 6'5", 240 pounds. Like, he's huge. Yeah. Big arm. If he hits, they have everything else. Yeah. Great running game, great defense, great offensive line. Like, dudes, first-round picks. Right. You know? And so I think there's a few teams that could get him in a one-game situation in the playoff. But it doesn't – I don't know. It doesn't feel like – I think the hot take would be they lose a regular season game and then lose in the playoffs. Okay. I yeah. think that's the hot take, and I think somebody could get him this year in the regular season, but, like... Anybody not Tennessee? I, I mean, like, if, if all the games were on the road, I would probably feel differently. Like, yeah. Kentucky's a good team. Ole Miss is a good team. South Carolina's a good team. Like, but they're all in Athens. Right. Tennessee's might be the best team they play on the schedule on the road. I just think they're going to be ready for that. And I do have questions about Hypel's system against elite athletes because they are going to take away the run game. Yeah. Like, Georgia is going to stop you from running the football, and then it's on the rest of the team to do it. They could do it. They could figure it out. Um, and we'll see. Carson Beck hasn't ever started a game. <laughs> so, like, right, right. There's a lot more questions about this team today than there were last year. There's a lot more noise and distraction about this team this time la- than this time last year. Kirby played the disrespect card last year. I thought it was actually okay yeah. and smart. <laughs> they weren't picked number one. They weren't picked to win the SEC. They had their star quarterback back. I mean, like, I, I could – I can understand it. This year, there's no disrespect. Right. They are clear-cut number one across the board, but there are more questions. Right. So yeah. I, I think I think two Georgia loses two games this year. That's about as hot take as I think I can get. That's bold, brother. I like Remember, it. that's Braden Gull saying that, not us. <laughs> Tell the for the record, for the record, they're picking him number one in the country <laughs> in the SEC. Tell the folks where can they find you? Uh, at Braden Gall on Twitter is the the primary place. There, 440 Sports is is our company in Nashville. You can Athlon Sports if you want to cover all 133 teams. Uh, Fringe Element Podcast for now. That's the name. Uh, of course, uh, you can get us there uh, all over the YouTube page as well, and 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 on the podcast feed. So. We got some fun, fun, exciting stuff coming for you guys. So yeah. uh, we're we're uh, looking forward to the build up to the season. I, I truly believe this is one of the most interesting SEC football seasons I can ever remember yeah. because of all the things we just talked about. So many good teams, so many yeah. questions at quarterback, Georgia three P questions about Bama, LSU, like Texas and Oklahoma are coming in next year, expansions <laughs> next year. Like it's it it's genuinely an awesome season. I can't wait, and I'm glad it's here. So. Oh, there's one other thing. I apologize. I meant to no, ask you. It. When I think of Nash- Gull. Nashville sports, I think of Braden Gall, 440 sports. Huh, thank you. you. You cover it better than anybody. Uh, this event, being in Nashville, I mean, I feel like so far, I know there's construction. Nobody cares <laughs> about that. But I feel all like the ana- I, all the construction analogies, I'm getting tired of them. <laughs> I feel like they knocked it out of the park here. And what's your thoughts? Did you ever think that Nashville would get the media days? And if uh, this stadium is, is as grand as it looks like they're going to build, you think we eventually get an SEC championship right down the street? No SEC championship. Um, and I feel pretty comfortable saying that. I, I think yes to a lot of other things. Uh, now, first of all, not surprised at all it's here. It, we've, they've tried to steal, and I know the folks that work in the National Sports Authority pretty well that have tried to take the SEC baseball tournament multiple times and Hoover – I think it's more important than Hoover. It's, it's way more important to Hoover than it is to Nashville. So right. I'm glad it's in Hoover. I think it's charming there, and I think it belongs there. But they've been trying to steal every single SEC event for <laughs> a decade. And they've come pretty close. they got base, basketball tournament a right. bunch of times, women's basketball tournament. Um, I think what I would guess, and I think the event here is great. Fans don't care about this. It's way better than Atlanta because of how like, it's so easy for us to, to manage, I think. Right. But, again, nobody cares about the media. Um, I think – when the stadium is built, 
$2 billion Titan Stadium. I have been told pretty specifically that before the stadium is built that we are on the line for a college football playoff game, weather-wise. Which, which this person was telling me this to basically say, when the dome is built, you are guaranteed a college football playoff game. Yeah. I think what comes with that is some sort of SEC kickoff classic, the way Tennessee and Virginia are playing this year at right. Nissan Stadium. I could see it being very similar to what they do in Arlington, what they do in Charlotte, and what they do in Atlanta. I could see it. I would love for it to be an SEC Big Ten challenge. Like I think that would be awesome yeah. to have that game every year in Nashville, which there's plenty of good, drivable Big Ten schools from Nashville, actually. So I think it would be a great event. So I Sankey was pretty clear on Monday that they're re-upping their contract with Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They're not going to move it, I don't think. Um, I th- but I think there's a door for a lot of other stuff. College football playoff game, yes, absolutely. National championship game will be here. The Music City Bowl is going to be the host of those two. At some point, Super Bowl's coming, Final Four's coming. Right. WrestleMania's coming. Everything's <laughs> coming. It, like, they're all coming to the stadium. I, the key is going to be what happens early in the season. Yeah. I think that's what's going to be fun is there, we could have a big – like, can you imagine Texas? Uh, now this wouldn't work in Nashville. But can you imagine like Texas, Texas A&M week one every year? Like, give <laughs> yeah. me a break with that, dude. Like, you can make a fortune off that game. Like, just Arlington, Arlington is better, but I think what he's trying to say is Tennessee is going to start the season and end the season in Nashville <laughs> National Championship game. There you heard go. it here first, Braden Gall in 2023. I love <laughs> yeah. that. Hate South Carolina, loves Tennessee, love having this guy on. <laughs> All right, that's perfect. All right, so thanks again, Braden, for joining the show. Now it's time to go into the deep dive on these teams from SEC Media Days. And we got to start with the back-to-back defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs favored to make it three for three, as crazy as that is. But uh, obviously complacency. That is basically all you can attack Georgia on. And you can't even attack them on it, but you can, you can question with so much success with so many guys going to the NFL. But, hell, same thing could be said last year. Even more, I think, last year off to the NFL than than off of this year's roster. So uh, that's one of the things that Kirby is referenced down there at Media Days. And I love this answer. They want people that love football and embrace their role. Let's kick it over to Kirby. Coach Smart, your team back-to-back national champions. You talked about complacency and the challenge with complacency. Your team coming into this year, how do you go ahead and address all of those issues internally and block out the external factors? Well, we address them by the people we bring in our organization. You know, I think um, you start by, like, developing good people and bringing good people in. I just talked about it on the main floor, but we look for two characteristics, people that love football and people that embrace a selfless role. Once you do that, they don't have complacency because they have the right, the right hardwiring. So, uh, you know, people that worry about outcomes like, oh, gosh, my ego, why am I not getting the ball? Or like, oh, man, we lost the game. Complacency sets in on those people because when they hit a milestone, they don't know how to respond to it. Um, so we want people that are intrinsically motivated. It means they come from inside out and they want to be great regardless of that. Now, do we have all players like that? No. We're trying to move our needle to get the majority that way so that we can stomp out that complacency. And we just want to be as dominant and as good as we can be, and that starts with competing against each other. Now, I really wanted to play that clip because it's a little coach speakish. Honestly, I think that's fair to say. But 
from what we saw from them on the field last year, everything he just said is 100% accurate. I mean, they were not preseason number one last year. Alabama was. They were not the favorite in the, in the uh, SEC. Alabama was. So, hell, they got better. They got better despite maybe the best defense we've ever seen in college football. A lot of those guys off to the NFL. Can they do it again? They sure as hell can. Thanks in large part to a schedule that looks easy. But I love this response from Kirby. Georgia's schedule, and this is not this is not him speaking, this is me. Georgia's schedule looks easy because there's nobody in the country that can man up with them. So, I mean, the, the schedule could be Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan. They're still going to be favored in all these damn games. <laughs> so, yeah, the schedule looks a little bit easier, but it's because they're Georgia. It's because, obviously, that Oklahoma game had to be taken off uh, by the SEC, not Georgia. Still would have loved to have seen that game played either way. But let's kick it over to Kirby talking how quote-unquote easy this schedule is. What do you have to say to people who maybe say that Georgia's schedule is a cakewalk? <laughs> and come play it. I mean, I, I'd love to invite any team in the country who wants to play in the SEC, come come, come, come right ahead, you know. And, um, and I, I don't get into comparisons year to year, but I'm, I'm a big believer in opening with a, a great game, a great kickoff game. We've done that repeatedly. We've scheduled that out. I think we got UCLA, Ohio State, FSU, Louisville, all in coming years. Um, Clemson next year, uh, we had Oregon and um, – we had Clemson before that. So a lot of things I can control. I don't control the narrative that people create outside of our building. Now, I did want to throw this out there, too, because this is, in fairness, Kirby mentions some of the games they have played. They typically play a really tough non-conference game right out the gate. Look at some of the games they got upcoming in 2024. They play Clemson in Atlanta, 2025. They go to UCLA, 26. UCLA comes to Athens, and they go to Louisville. 27, at Florida State and Louisville at home. 28, Florida State comes to Athens. At Clemson in 29, and in 30. Oh, look at this. <laughs> Maybe a 64-team playoff in 2030. I don't know. But Clemson and Ohio State on the non-conference. And, oh, yeah, I mean, I know it's a joke because they because the, their program's a joke, but Georgia Tech also on the schedule annually. So, and it ain't Georgia's fault that Georgia Tech sucks. So it is what it is. But uh, to Kirby's point, they are not afraid of the competition. It just so happens that this year's schedule is looks weak as hell because, A, Georgia's so great, and Oklahoma, which Georgia scheduled, is not on the schedule this year thanks to the SEC. But now let's kick it over to uh, this is one of our first interviews at Media Days. This is a guy we look forward to more than anybody. Oh, Rusty Manziel, Dogs HQ, part of the On3 Network. Let's kick it over to our good friend, Rusty Manziel. The whole reason we come down to SEC Media Days, talk to Rusty Manziel. Oh, one and done, and we're you're good. Hey, after this. this, we're hitting, we're hitting tootsies. It's on. Cousin Shane, he's been ready to rock and roll. How you doing, Rusty? Good, man. Thank you all for having me. I, first off, I want to say uh, thank you. I mean, uh, I, I've done a lot in 13 years, but I'm telling you, be on your podcast and kind of telling my story, which yeah. really, I don't know the intention that day, but. We kind of just got talking an hour later. It was over with, but I had—I can't tell you how many people 
uh, reached out to me and was like, dang, that was cool. I listened to the whole hour. I was like, well, good, you know. And, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate it, man. It was awesome. Yeah. Then you, then you hooked me up <laughs> on Fine Bomb. I was telling you guys a story. I'm driving down the road, and my phone blows up. I'm like, what is going on? They're like, dude, they're talking about you on Fine Bomb. I was like, I either got my 50, I either got coming. my 50 year scholarship back or something's not good. But uh, I appreciate the kind words, man. Well, Thank I'm just so trying much. to repay for everything you've done. You've been oh, one man. of the best to me. I appreciate so, it. You know, awesome. you, you got to pay it forward. You know, I feel like we're just, you know, your vibe and, and y'all's vibe. Just a couple of dudes just talking ball, man. You know, yeah, that's yeah. kind of that's kind of me. People ask me things. I'm like, look, there's a million people that can do this. We're just it's like being in a barbershop, man, talking ball. Yep, that's right. So no, I just like the recruiting side of it. Just listen. I could. That's I would crazy. love to be a fly on the wall. Just it's crazy. The Reuben, the Reuben Foster story. Oh, I got so many texts about that. So <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was thinking I'm going to get a text from Reuben at some point. Going, damn man, bust me out. But is there any on your drive home? You're like, man, I should have told them. Uh, Here's your shot. Not, right now. not you know, pr- probably not really. I mean, I told you. I, people ask me if I'm ever going to write a book. Maybe I will one day, and I'll right, get right. something there. But I've got a ton, man. There's been some crazy, you know, stories. But to me, it's it's the the success stories, you know, the kids I've covered. And, uh, you know, Eric Stokes, who was a last-minute Georgia flip that morning. I remember Georgia fans were like, man, what are we doing taking this guy, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, three years, three years later, this dude was a first-round draft pick. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's fun to watch those those kind and those those kids. So, um, I'm sure I'll, I'll remember one one day, but I'll save it for the next time we're on. All right, I'll, right. I'll make some notes, like save that for <laughs> save that for that SEC podcast. What, what's an underrated storyline for Georgia this year? Because it was this time last year. I had my quarterback rankings. You said, "Boy, you missed on Stetson. Mm. You were you were dead right." Uh, what what's something maybe everybody's missing on Georgia right now? Um, you know, for me, I think Georgia. Um, it's going to be better defensively. And the reason I say that is because they're going to be able to have more pass rush. Mm-hmm. If you think about the end of last year when they lost Nolan Smith in that Florida game, yeah, I kept thinking this Tennessee game, I don't know how they're going to create pressure because Nolan Smith was out. and He was kind of their dude there. Yep. But ultimately Georgia kind of changed their philosophy and used guys like Smile Monday and them. They were bringing different pressures. So I think that Georgia this year, Marvin Jones Jr., who was a five-star prospect, you know, two years ago, he had a he had a torn labrum last year. So he was on a pitch count at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Then you got Michael Williams, who came on late in the year. He was a five-star. Many thought could have been the number one player in the country that wasn't a quarterback that year. So they'll have Michael, they'll have Marvin Jones Jr. And a guy, I'll give you a name right now. Um, it might not be the first of the year, but by the time Georgia gets into that, what I think is that second half of the season, the bye week, then Florida, then you go to Knoxville, all those games. Uh, Damon Wilson, who was a five-star outside linebacker from Venice, Florida last year. Georgia went head-to-head with Ohio State. So I think Georgia has guys, but I think they're going to be able to create more pressure. Now, they don't have a Jalen Carter. They don't. You're not going to replace what he could do by himself. But I do think as a group and a whole, what they like to do and when they've been successful, even when Kirby Smart was in Alabama, some of those defenses he ran there, what they've been successful on is being able to have that guy on the edge, that Lorenzo Carter, those types of guys, and, and that, that allows everybody else to be more athletic. So they had to get a little more creative last year, I felt like, but uh, defensively people are not really saying a whole lot about them mm-hmm. uh, that I've seen so far. What about on the offense side? Is there any guys that you're maybe not a household name yet, but you're thinking at the end of the season will be? You know, they got a lot of experienced guys. The one guy I think if you follow Georgia, Arian Smith, 
He might be the fastest player in the country. I mean, he's a 10-200 guy, but he's been banged up. He caught a ball early in that Tennessee game last year. Mm-hmm. He caught that wide-open bust coverage yep. against Ohio State. Yeah. But he's been that guy because he's been banged up. He's just really a straight vertical line guy, but he's got a little di- – he's a real twitchy kid. So, if they can keep him healthy, I think with – all the attention on Lab McConkey and everybody. Right. Obviously, when you, you face him, Brock Bowers is the guy you got to cover as well. I think Arians entered Dominic Lovett. You know, yeah. Dominic Lovett. Yeah, he, he got into Georgia pretty good last year. <laughs> uh, they, they had a great scouting report on him. I can tell you that. <laughs> All they had to do was turn on one tape. You know, and he if he doesn't get hurt, man, who knows what's going exactly. on in that game? You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, you look at him, but I think Arian Smith is a guy that could be like, dang, Georgia's you know adding this guy, but he just he's got to stay healthy. Do you think it's fair to say that they have completely flipped that Alabama? Because it used to be, I really think Alabama was in Georgia's head. Right now, I think Georgia is in Alabama's head, and specifically Nick Saban. Because I know, I know, most expect Georgia to, to win the East, or win the obviously the East, the yeah. SEC, yeah. and the favorite to win it all. They should be. But if they don't get it done, we know the next five, ten years, as long as Kirby's there, they're going to yeah. be in contention. You cannot say the same about Alabama. They, they've got one or two more years, I think. Mm. Well, maybe, well, maybe, that, more, yeah. maybe more. But everybody, everybody, I said it four years ago. Yeah, Saban's got ago. one. Yeah, the got pressure two. is on, though, yeah. for, for Alabama to catch up now. I, I think I can answer it in this way, and I don't want to uh, answer for Alabama, but I'll answer for Georgia. My thought is they're a very confident team. Yeah. They enter every game, no matter who's on that sideline, going, you know, we can beat them now because you beat Alabama. You beat, out, you beat Ohio State. You know, you've won, you've won these big games, you know, and you found ways to win games like that. So I think, um, you know, you look at that and go, this Georgia roster from these older kids, they've won a lot of football games. And you can go all the way back to the, you know, this you guys got Tennessee background. So, you know, when you go back to the, the Peyton Manning year that they didn't win it, but they brought back a lot of kids on that team next year that won a lot of games. Yeah. You know what I mean? And T. Martin comes in and they, and they win those games. So they had to get over the Florida hunt. Georgia kind of had to get over that Alabama hunt. So I think the confidence there is we can play with anybody, and every single week we expect to win. And and I'll be honest, it's a great question. I don't know that internally every time they stepped on the field of Alabama, they probably felt that way, like, hey, we may not be able to beat these guys. You kind of finally get over that hump once. Uh, You know, it would be interesting. It's kind of a shame they didn't play last year, you know what I mean? Yeah. But next year, regardless, 2024, Georgia's going to go to Tuscaloosa. Um, and that's going to be a totally different team now. You know, yeah. as we dig into Georgia, this offensive line, they're going to lose four starters minimum probably. Um, Brock Bowers, who's maybe the best tight end in the last 20 years. So it's going to be a different set of players going over there next year as we get look forward. But I think to answer that question, I just think that Georgia's a, a, a really competent team. Well, they expect to win them all. I'm already on record. If Georgia wins again and they go to Tuscaloosa and beat Ooh. Nick Saban, he Ooh. may pull a Spurrier and just say, uh, just I'm done, out. I'm done. You know what, man? My good buddy Tim Watts, who uh, runs our, our Alabama, I told him about five years ago, I said, dude, Saban's got about one left. So every year he says to me, Tech, you still think he's got one left? I'm like, no, Tim. <laughs> I was wrong. I was wrong, dude. So, how do, just, just How do you think he does leave? I mean, do you think he goes out like he's waiting for that final championship opportunity or do you feel like he, he lets everyone know this is his final season? Man, I'll tell you what. Um, I, I don't know what makes him stop because everybody that I, I – I don't know him at all personally. Yeah. I know a lot of people that know him. And this guy is wired to be a football coach. Yeah. You know, he's not going to – he doesn't – he don't have that own golden pond dream. Like, he ain't up there in a the canoe – with Miss Terry fishing, you know what I mean? Like, he's got to have this this competitive drive to him. So, 
I'll be honest with you, man. I, I don't know how. You know, I don't, people's like, well, if he wins one, you know, he might walk off. Very well could. But yeah. if he loses another game, I don't know that Nick Saban is going to sit there and say, that's going to be my last, that's right. going to be my last memory. Like, right. this dude's got it in him. And it's incredible, like, health-wise, you look at him. Like, yeah. I turned 50 this week. I'm like, damn, you look old, dude. Like, you look rough. You know what I mean? You look at Nick Saban, and you're like, this guy's fresh, you know. So I saw him out there stretching with the guys. I'm like, I yeah. don't even know if I can. I'm oh, not going to get on the ground. <laughs> no. I'll never get up. No. But he's good for college football. Certainly, you know, if he does walk away, he's going to be involved somehow, ESPN yeah. or somebody. Yeah. You know, it would be crazy not to have him there. So, uh, that. It's a great question. I, I keep saying I, I quit. I quit saying it. Like yeah. this is it for him. You just don't know. Yeah. What's the biggest challenge for Georgia this year? Do you think it is? You know, they all say it's it's easier to get to the mountaintop than it is to stay there. Yeah. We're hearing all the stuff about the schedule. Sure. They should kill everybody. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's got to seep into the locker room at some point. That's complacency. How yeah. does Kirby handle yeah. that? They have those you know internal leadership deals and all that kind of stuff. I think. Um, Getting Cedric, he'll be here tomorrow. I don't know if you guys will get a chance to talk to him, but Cedric Van Pran is one of the most impressive kids you'll ever meet. Like, he is super sharp. And getting him to come back this year, because you don't really want to place, replace a quarterback and a center. You yeah. know what I mean? So those two, I mean, he, he makes the calls for protections. And with Carson Beck, not, who, who I think is going to be the guy, not having a, uh, a ton of, obviously, like real experience. Uh, I think complacency, what, what goes in the locker room, because I don't care who you are. Uh, privately, you know you got a really good team, and everybody tells you how good you are. You yeah. know what I mean? Now, yeah. Kirby Smart and going there, and, and, and all that seven and five stuff. Nolan Smith's uncles, he ain't coming <laughs> in the locker room this year. Going, they they hate y'all. They know, nobody believes in y'all. <laughs> Everybody's like, who? Like, <laughs> I covered this team. Nobody tell y'all going seven and five. If that's what you want to hear, you know what I mean. So it's crazy. Players on the sideline now, championship again, saying that y'all saw we were going to be seven and five. No, nobody in the world, in the free world, say y'all going to be seven and five. Did, did Kirby? Uh, did he say anything about live streaming or recording in the studio? <laughs> is that is there an unwritten rule now? No, no man. I tell you that that whole deal. Uh, when I saw Nolan interviewed Nolan said I, I I may have made that up I'm not going to get this. So I love it. I've known Nolan for a long time, so I thought that was great to hear him say that. Is there, is there any game on the schedule that uh, you circle? I mean, obviously everyone's looking at, at Tennessee. but that, That's it, it. I mean, that's, that's not the, only, the one? only one for me, but I think um, Tate Rattledge would agree to with me walking into Neyland. Yeah. Uh, I don't get Tate in trouble, but uh, <laughs> you walk into that place, and I don't care if Tennessee is at, just, just stay there 7-3. Right. They're going to get Tennessee's best, and they're going to get Tennessee's fan base the best because they know what Georgia fan base – rose up last year that place was crazy loud mm-hmm. uh Neyland's going to be rocking and rolling so you know I think when you look at that game it's hard not to look down there and see you know what's going to be at stake at that point you know I, I'm I've kind of been in a little bit of a bubble this summer and hadn't really read a ton on everybody I'm kind of seeing people think like South Carolina is that trendy kind of pick and they got a quarterback coming back and they finished a the year hot but I'm kind of thinking Tennessee's going to be better than people are kind of looking at because I think it's the the system, you know, in, in this and in, in what does Joe Milton do? You know what I mean? Yeah. He's such a mature man. You know what I mean? He's got this huge arm. And can they replace these wide receivers and some of those things will be the questions for them. But I, I just think that Georgia going into that game and, – and listen, South Carolina always has played Georgia tough for whatever reason. Florida, I think, you know, they got quarterback questions, what, what will happen there. But when you look at Tennessee and you go to Neyland – 
Um, and that place is going to be, you're talking about unhinged? Now, <laughs> that ball Navy is going to roll up about Tuesday. <laughs> they're they're going to be deep for that game. So Yeah, we uh, had your colleague uh, Grant Ferking on here. Yeah. He, he yeah. fired up Shane about what Josh Heupel and the balls are going to oh, be this yeah, year. Yeah. Well, they, they, right. they chest bump right here. Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> I tell you what, man, you're talking about a stud, Grant. I yeah. just got a chance to meet him the last couple of months. You know what Smart. I mean? I kind of read his story. Yeah. But, dude, we had that NIL event here on three. Um, like, he was really the point man. You know what I mean? Like, there was questions going on. They were going to him. And I thought, man, this, this kid's sharp. And then the more, more time I spent around him. So, I told Shannon, I said, I don't know how long we're going to have that guy. You better, you better enjoy <laughs> yes, it. Dude. Better he's enjoy dialed it. in. He, he's and, sharp. And motivating. I, you yeah, know, I was like, yeah. man, what am I doing with my life? You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't, let me tell you something. Don't follow him on Instagram. It'll crush your soul. Now, this dude's like, he's in like Cape Cod on weekend, the Bahamas the next. I'm like, dude, I, I'm just, I just went to PCB for four days. Pineapple Willies, I thought I was doing something, you know. So, but Grant, Grant's sharp, and yeah, he uh, he, he's a very, very big piece of our puzzle. And Shannon, you know, I'll tell you, um, I, you know, Shannon, I've talked about him a million times, but he, the one thing is Shannon, I thought, had a great eye. You know, he. He's basically one that found Josh Pate. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. When, when you come across Grant and, and you give him that much kind of power and authority and freedom to do, you know, to, to become who you are, and uh, I think Grant's going to be – that's going to be a hell of a bet for me because I'm going to be dealing with Grant, <laughs> Austin Price. I mean, this, this Georgia-Tennessee game this year is going to be – I don't know what's going to be on the line, man. I, I'm about to wear like a Peyton Manning jersey for like a month straight or something if they lose that one. So but yeah. we'll, have some, we'll have some fun with Hubs and, 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 yeah. and, and those guys. So really glad they uh, – uh, you know, all of us are on three together. Yeah. And, and one other – don't overlook Kentucky – Kentucky, for whatever reason, yep. plays Georgia tough. They're very Always. physical. Always. I like what they have at quarterback. Yep. They bring them back home at o- yep. OC. I know that game's in Athens, but yep. still, they even play Georgia tough down there. Dude, Missouri Missouri had Georgia on the ropes last year. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it, it's not I, – I, I always caution Georgia fans, you know, like, hey, listen now. It's a gauntlet every week. You know what I mean? And, and I've done some interviews here, and it's really a shame. I don't understand the, the thought process of why Georgia's not playing Oklahoma this year. Yeah. yeah, didn't get them in twenty four. I also just let them play this year, you know. And but how great would it have been if listen to this now? If it had been Georgia at Oklahoma and Texas at Bama week two? Oh yeah, You're talking about not getting nothing done on a Saturday. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it would have been over that week. So, and I think that's really helped Georgia the last couple of years. Opening against Clemson, yeah. opening against Oregon, keeping that team. I guarantee you, if Kirby Smart sit in his chair right now and you ask him if he had a chance to play Oklahoma or Middle Tennessee or, or Ball State first game, he'd take Oklahoma yeah. because it keeps the focus. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, Georgia's not fighting to play those games just to, for exposure. He understands what it does for the summertime. Like, you got to be prepared. His first game he ever did was that kickoff against North Carolina. Yep. Yeah. And then they scheduled all these deals, and then, and then you know, obviously you do this four or five years in advance. Right. But then the season kind of starts. The, the, the SEC is expanded, so it's kind of taken out of his hands. But Georgia – Georgia opens with Clemson next year and Mercedes-Benz. Dude, that's, we're talking about a soft schedule this year. Oh, that yeah. changes next hey, year. They, no, there was nobody – there was no – you knew it was bad when the Tennessee and Alabama fans were going, dang, man, I feel bad for y'all. Like that. That's a rough one. That's a rough schedule, man. You, and, and a sneaky game, you know, you go to Ole Miss. Yeah. You know, Lane Kiffin can dial up on you in a heartbeat. They play this year. Georgia plays Ole Miss that's this year. That's my trap game right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Lane Kiffin is hard to deal with mm-hmm. in a one-game scenario because, yeah. I mean, Duke can call plays now. And if they get their quarterbacks rolling, that type of thing. So, 
uh, there's some games with Georgia that 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 I think is going to make them make them a little bit tight as a fan base. But um, certainly, this team is very capable of winning a national championship. Now, yeah. there's a lot of quarterback play. Carson Beck, you know, I, I've said it all week. Uh, Any surprise he's not here? Or no, because really, they and, and, and really, truthfully, you think about the respect of a of a of a because he's not quote unquote named the starter yet. Right. I right. mean, they they know this. That's probably going to be the guy they're going to roll with, but. Mm-hmm. To me, to walk up here and diss, you got to carry some weight in the locker room. Yeah. So Cedric Van Pran, Mar Lassiter, and Brock Bowers. Yeah. Brock Bowers would be good because he uh, we had him at the national championship and he's kind of a man of few words. You know what I mean? But um, I, I told Georgia fans this week, you better you better enjoy nineteen because <laughs> these don't come around like this. This dude is 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 really damn good. They don't come around often like yeah. this. Anything at this event that you're hoping to learn from Georgia? Uh, I'm interested in, well, I mean, just like early on because, you know, sounds like well, there were some injuries the last week of spring practice with Smile Munden, who I think is one of the best linebackers around. Mm-hmm. And then Branson Robinson, who was another highly rated running back. You know, if you look at Georgia right now, the wide receiver spot, I feel like they're loaded. Right. The O-line, they're loaded. Tight end room is stupid loaded. Running back is where you could – because people ask about Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo, this is a different skill set, what they're bringing in. It's not – this is not, you know, Todd Gurley, Keith Marshall, and oh, wait, you got two freshmen, Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle waiting. Right. You know what I mean? This is Kendall Milton who's been banged up his whole career. Got hurt again in the spring. Branson Robinson who's banged up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you lose Kenny McIntosh. So – Really, uh, you know, Mike Bobo, I, I, I personally think they're going to have to turn it loose, you know, for yeah. a while and kind of, you know, find out who's Dejon Edwards going to be that guy. Is Kendall Milton going to be Andrew Paul's coming in off of an ACL last year. So there's some questions at running back for sure. It's not your typical, when people think Mike Bobo, it's not that, that team that they had with, with all those years he had. Let's get downhill and power out, run, you know, run the ball tall, sweep. That's kind of, that, that, those days are over. They're not built like that anymore either. Right. So. Running back is kind of a weird deal. We all grew up. If you had a stud running back, it was on. But, <laughs> yeah. it, but now the game is so fast, it's played outside on the edge. You know what I mean? Jalen Hyatt and those guys are, yeah. you know what I mean? you gotta have you got to have the difference makers on the outside. A little bit more of a committee, too. It's the the yeah. old three-down back, you just don't see them too much No, it, well, you, The kids want to leave college with less carries. Yeah, yeah. The first group of kids that I covered that were like, hey, I want to go with you because I want less carries was – Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. Yeah. Like, I want to be fresh as I can when I get there uh, if we get to the NFL. So, that that's kind of the deal now. Everybody, like, George is trying to take three running backs in this class. Yeah. You know, 10 years ago, I'd be like, what are, what are they thinking? <laughs> you know what I mean? But now everybody's like, no, let's do it by committee. Right. It's, all, it's all about getting to that second contract. If yeah. you can get there. Nick, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley's in that deal right now where he's franchise or not. Nick did sign a, a deal, I think, two years ago because he was a second rounder. So, he had a little more freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, on his deal, but I think Nick will probably wind up getting um, a pretty good. The day Todd Gurley kind of that was the last big contract you probably ever see. But yeah. he got hurt, you know what oh, I mean. Yeah. So that that I don't know the running backs. Too. Oh man, Say, I'd be interested. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> still dagger, wasn't it? Still dagger. But I, I think uh, I think when you look at that, um, what Saquon does this year, how they if they franchise him, if they give yeah. him five years, because I hadn't seen one. I mean, look at Zeke at the Cowboys. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been pretty downhill since he got paid. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Nick Chubb. They're afraid. Jacobs Nick, is another yeah, one, you know. Yeah. He's talking about holding out. Nick, so. Nick Chubb is wired different. 
You know, he's not trying to get $100 million. But, yeah. I mean, he's the second highest NFL career average, I think, per carry, 5.2 yards. Just working out at the high school the other day, just every yeah. day getting ready. What's he squatting these days? They, they, <laughs> basically, cut, they basically cut him off. <laughs> yeah. So the other day they have a uh, – in his hometown, Cedartown, they have a um, – they have one of the best – He's a wheelchair athlete. Yeah. This guy does all the distance, and he's like one of the top in the world. So he brings this uh, a, a, a wheelchair race to his hometown. And from what I read, Nick Chubb was not invited. He was not asked to come. Nick Chubb showed up to meet everybody at the finish line. Wow. Just unannounced. Oh, that's cool. You're talking about, like, different? Yeah. I mean, that guy, I mean, that's just the way he is. Yeah. And I asked him the other day when I saw him, I said, dude, I – I saw on Facebook that you just showed up and played pickleball in town. He was like, yeah, I just rolled up the court. I was like, well, who are you playing with? He's like, I don't know, some, some local kids. And, and like, the kid's dad was like, hey, we picked him up. Like, Nick Chubb just played pickleball with us. And dad was like, what? No, he didn't. They took a picture, you know. Like, yeah. he just rolled up to the old city, city courts and wow. played some pickleball. He loves it. Loves pickleball. So he's a pickleballer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm I'm proud of his what hey, he's been going on. But right <laughs> now, I'm I'm not sure he wants to play pickleball, Nick. You know what I mean? That's, no, not at so. all. You got to think. Well, last question for Rusty. Oh man, uh, no! I just appreciate you coming on. It's and, awesome, uh, man. If you ever get one of them on three polos and about a five X, you just bring. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I'll do. I'll cut you a deal. You keep walking, and I'll get you a four. <laughs> <There> you, <laughs> you know, everybody's got that shirt in their closet, their wife or somebody wants. To, Baby, I'm I'm gonna get back into that. Yeah. She's like, whatever. I, this thing's like spring of '98. I was like, I'm, I'm I'm look. I lost two pounds this weekend. You know what I mean? So I got a whole wardrobe. Just like that, yeah. That's I got right. I got to shrink down. Well, and it's, tough, it. it's tough to lose weight in this town, man. I tell you, oh, that's dude, one thing I'm, Nashville can dude, cook. Oh my God, yeah. there's so many. Like people, I saw a lot of people in the lobby hadn't been here in a while, and they're like, "What happened?" <laughs> I was like, "It's called growth, quick." <laughs> but yeah. somebody saw me got distracted there. You thought Daniels was walking by? No, they had a food tray they were bringing <laughs> by. <laughs> so, they, yeah, dude, it's great food here, and yeah, that's yeah. that's a good. Let me tell you something now. You want some food recommendations, my, my man Grant. Mm-hmm. He, he knows he them. is the yeah. mayor well, yeah, he's, of, he's of the red. Yeah. Tell you, don't follow him on Instagram. <laughs> You'll stay hungry and, and, and stay broke because that man, that man's living it up right now. Before you go, Rusty, can you tell the audience where can they find all your work? Anywhere on Twitter, um, at Rusty Mansell underscore uh, M A N S E L O underscore, and then Instagram. Uh, I haven't had a chance to to uh, change my name yet because I've got I've got the old blue check on Instagram. <laughs> Don't know how that happened, but that's still Mansell two four seven. So I, eventually I will. We had the Instagram guy. We had the Instagram guy here at uh, at the, at the um, on three nil event. It was funny because I was like, I need to talk to this guy about if I change my name, I lose all that. As soon as it got over, I didn't realize Instagram. That's those kids' world. They swarmed him. Yeah. Like, hey, one of us verify. Like, one of us verify. You know, and I remember Sammy Brown, who's the five star. Yep. You know, Sammy's like, hey, man, I, I was like, this guy needs to be verified. <laughs> I can assure you, that these, these, this guy needs to be verified. So, I waited my turn and kind of talked to the guy from him. So, look, if I changed my name and he gave me the email me and put this. In. Yeah, I didn't hear from him. So I, <laughs> yeah, I know that the guy that works for Instagram gets hit up. There yeah, is yeah. no telling. Oh, I imagine. But, yeah. No telling. So. But it's fun. Thank you guys yeah, for having me, man. So much, Again, Russell. I can't thank you enough for the, the kind words, man, you said about me. And uh, you uh, did a good job, man. Appreciate and, and it. And my mom, 
You got the proof from my mom now. She, <laughs> my mom said, I'll just sit around and watch that podcast sometimes. <laughs> so if the views go up about three every week, you know my mom's laying somewhere on the beach in Florida just watching it on her phone. So I appreciate that, man, yeah. so All much. Right. Thank you, guys. Oh, Rusty never disappoints, does he? That, that was one of my favorite uh, interviews of Media Days. Another guy that never disappoints, Mike Griffith. You never know where he's going to go, what he's going to say. Uh, I look up to Mike. I, I really appreciate all his time from Dog Nation. Let's kick it over to Mike Griffith. Well, he's that good. Well, we're a fan of you, Mike. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate Dog that. We, I, I pulled Mike out of the big ballroom, about half a dozen other people saying, hey, we got to get you on, Mike. You're gold every time you're on. You're always gold for us. So we appreciate you making time for yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. No, no problem, guys. I appreciate it. Anything you learned from Kirby and company yesterday? You know, more than anything, it was just kind of an overall uh, sense that that uh, that Kirby's that Kirby's in the right place right now, you know, and that George is in the right place right now. I mean, look, it's it's been a well documented, challenging off season, and you wondered, well, what happens when we get to Nashville at SEC Media Days? What is what does Georgia look like? What does Georgia sound like? How does how is Georgia perceived? Right. Right. And I felt more of a vibe of joy yeah. than I've felt since the second quarter of the TCU game, yeah. honestly. I mean, it was just like, this is what a two-time defending national championship program is supposed to look and sound like. And I give Kirby credit for that because he's at the top of the chain and everything kind of trickles down from the leader. And Kirby was as engaging, uh, as charismatic as I've ever heard him in, yeah. in the time that I've covered him going back to 2018. What'd you make of old uh, Nick Saban there talking cakes and Europe? And <laughs> Entertaining <laughs> as always, you know, must see theater, uh, a gift to the league, a seven time national champion. I, I can't get the comparison of Saban and Dale Earnhardt out of my mind <laughs> when I think about the Intimidator in yeah. the black number three car. Yeah. Right. And I think about Alabama and Nick Saban and the same effect that you just say it. And people say, where? And, and even if people don't like Alabama, they always want to know how Alabama did. Right. And it was the same way when we used to turn on a NASCAR race. Who's winning? Where's Earnhardt? <laughs> How'd your favorite team do? What Alabama do today? You know, and, and I think about that. I was at Daytona in 2001 on that fateful day when the Intimidator uh, crashed in the final turn on the last lap, which just – and. And my, the thought that went through my mind, I had to write a column and, about how much I appreciated Dale Earnhardt, what he meant to the sport. And I'd never really stopped and reflected because he was just one of those guys that you think is always going to be there. And of late, the last couple of years, when I, this, this Saban intimidator thing just keeps going through my mind, is I relish the opportunities to listen to him. Yeah. I appreciate the opportunities to watch the program that he's built, what Alabama means to the sec even as georgia has conquered them and won the last two national titles alabama remains must see theater as does nick saban so right. i appreciated it I, I love the you know i was talking sitting next to tommy d's a uh, longtime tuscaloosa news guy now he's you know one of the you know one of the senior managers with usa today sports you know clearly one of the industry leaders and, and he said now who in the who else in the world can compare <laughs> football to baking a cake and pull it off i said nobody but he says it's 
so it's true. Right. right? So now there's going to be a bunch of Alabama fans thinking about Cake and their favorite players and <laughs> what coach and, – and, and other people like myself yeah. thinking the same thing. Yeah, I'll be thinking about Cake all day, Mike. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, I want to ask you, complacency was a popular word yesterday. Yeah. How does this team not get complacent with Georgia? Oh, again, we're going back to yeah. Georgia Bulldogs here. Sure. Well, it, it, you know, here's the thing, and, and nobody would ever – recommend it or prescribe it but this offseason has created a lot of challenges as we talked about a lot of really challenging reminders of of you know what what real adversity is yeah loss sense of loss of a former teammate and recruiting staffer and well-documented january 15th crash you know if that doesn't humble you and bring you down to earth right uh you know i and, and i think it the program has been under great scrutiny, as all championship programs are. Right. You know, and I go back to 1998 when I was covering Tennessee, and I remember the uh, the very next season, 99, and I think it was, uh, I want to say, leading into the season, I came downstairs. I was on the verge of going to a maybe a, a fall ball press conference, and I turned on ESPN, and ESPN said, you know, and next after the break, a story about Tennessee football that's going to change the face of the sport as we know it and i'm thinking what in the world i cover this team what are they talking about what could this possibly be well it was the story of linda bensel myers and how the tennessee athletic director or excuse me the tennessee athletic department once oversaw athletes academic compliance and tutoring Mm -hmm. and the linda bensel myers was a professor that took issue with that now at that time 40% 40% of the schools in the country had their athletic department oversee the academic compliance. But Tennessee was the national champion. Mm-hmm. And that's what the reporter was able to come up with during his week-long intervention into, intervention is probably not the right word, but his week-long stay in Knoxville yeah. when he was there reporting. And I'll never forget, this guy was at one of the practices. We didn't know what he was there for. His name was Tom Ferry. He was a very good investigative reporter. We didn't know what he was there for. He told Tennessee he was there to write a story about how a model program is run. So they opened up all the doors and gave him all the access. And we're watching a scrimmage, and he's asking somebody about who the quarterback is, and he's asking a guy that doesn't even really cover the team, and the answers were terrible. And I'm thinking, this is going to be an awful story. This reporter is terrible. Well, that was all the guys. He was really there to do the investigative reporting on the academics. But, but long sidebar there but the point is whoever wins the national championship goes under a, a greater degree of scrutiny and and, yeah. and, be, and 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 georgia's a two-time champion and even though they keep things buttoned up uh you know there has been a rash of speeding incidents that have been documented right yeah. so uh the, the the story's there i can guarantee you that every program in the country is looking at that saying hey what does our compliance look like in that area? What, how, are, how are our recruiting uh, rental car programs set up? Everybody is going to scrutinize their program in those areas. How do we deal with speeding? Do we know what kind of car every kid is driving? Should there be uh, some extra uh, education for the kids that are driving cars that go 0 to 60 and 3.5 and top out at 180 miles an hour like a Jeep Trackhawk right. that these kids covet, right? Yeah. So uh, I suppose my thought is uh, as challenging as an offseason as it's been, 
I think the Georgia players have certainly uh, had to learn to live under a greater deal of scrutiny. They've probably felt like the media has been after them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm guessing, Mike, that they would probably maybe circle the wagons, right? It's, right. it's, it's Georgia against the world once again for different reasons. Although I will say the players didn't come off that way yesterday. They didn't come off as defensive. They came off as very responsible. But, uh, look, I think Georgia knows what they're up against. I mean, look, they're only a couple plays away from losing two games last year. I mean, it could have easily lost to Missouri, easily lost to Ohio State. And there, and then one of the things I love about media, and I wasn't there for this, but I read the transcript, did somebody, was there a reporter from Kentucky? There was like, Kentucky played you guys better than anybody last year. And I'm thinking, <laughs> what, what, did, what, did I miss something here? I don't remember that. I don't remember Kentucky playing Georgia better than, but anyway, maybe that was the only game this guy saw. You know, got over a thousand quote-unquote media people here, so who knows who asked the question. I'm not sure. If Kirby was being completely honest, do you think that he would have rather played Oklahoma? And I, and I realize why they didn't play it and all that, yeah. but the last couple of years, Clemson to open with, they were underdog. Oregon, they weren't sure. underdog against Oregon, but that right. was something, you know, everyone was saying they lost all this. Right. This is going to be a rough start. And right out the gate, they come out, they destroyed Oregon, mm-hmm. and everyone said, oh, well, we got to reevaluate who's number one. They don't have that game this year. Right. Do, do you think, I don't know that's going to hurt them, but I don't think it helps them. Well, under the circumstances, I think this year it does help them this year. Because the quarterback situation is unsettled. Yeah. Because we really don't know who the quarterback is. Now, Carson Beck is the clear leader in the clubhouse. But until he earns the coach's trust and shows how he can prosper under adversity. I'll give you an example. 2017, Jacob Eason. Mm -hmm. I think everyone recognized that Jacob Eason had a higher ceiling than Jake Fromm. His arm is huge. Still is huge. Yeah. Uh, but yet it was Jake Fromm that was the Georgia quarterback moving forward because Kirby felt like he could trust Jake's decision-making more than Jacob Eason. And, I, and I'm not saying that I necessarily don't think that Beck will be the guy, but what I'm saying is it's, it's not done. And because they don't play Oklahoma, they can take a different approach to this quarterback situation. I remember Michigan State's Rose Bowl year I covered in, what was that, 2013. I think Mark D'Antonio played three quarterbacks through the first three games. Now, you could argue that bit the Spartans on the ass because they lost at Notre Dame in game four. I think it had more to do with five phantom pass interference penalties that uh, Tommy Reese, the Alabama offensive coordinator, I believe he was the quarterback then, they were the benefactor of at Notre Dame. They get a few calls there now and then. But but point is, I think that because they don't have that Oklahoma game, I think they can play this quarterback competition out. Now, you can ask me the same question on September 30th. You know, they'll play, they'll play at Auburn, and, and yep. while I think that Auburn is – uh, sneaky good, and, and Hugh Freeze is good and sneaky, whatever order yeah. you want to put that in. Uh, I, that game is a threat because it will be the first road start for one of those quarterbacks. And Jordan-Hare Stadium is a house of horrors. Yeah, I, I said horrors. <laughs> don't shame. Don't give me that uh, look. I, I saw it. you over there. And Clip that. <laughs> and, and <laughs> so I, I think that is a dangerous game. Yeah. In that respect. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, I think you're the first one that ever talked about quarterback competition. You know, everybody wants to just pencil in Beck and, and, sure. and, and that, you know, hell, they're baking a cake. Well, you got to know, you you know? know Kirby, though. Yeah. You know, four out of seven years, he's played more than one quarterback. And and uh, it's very thorough. You know, the thing right. about these defensive-minded – D'Antonio was the same way. of Another Nick Saban protege, yeah. I might add. The thing about the defensive-minded coach is their attitude is – 
Well, hell, you just coach these guys like they're anybody else. They're quarterback, cornerback, <laughs> linebacker. No. Offensive coaches, you know, Spurrier, oh, no, no, right. no. This right. is a different, the quarterback is a different animal. It's a different breed. Absolutely. It's the same animal. It's a different breed, though. Yeah. Right? You, you don't know. But the defensive coaches are they're a little bit more tougher-minded. And Well, you need to show, you know, he needs to be able to handle that. Absolutely. Send him to the bench or yell at him in front of everybody. Whereas, you know, I think about a quarterback whisperer, and I see David Cutcliffe walking around, yeah. and I think about how how uh, how David managed his quarterbacks. And, and now you better be- believe there was great discipline at Tennessee under David Cutcliffe. I mean, right down uh, to the quarter of an inch of where guys lined up and, and getting it right. But you never really saw David Cutcliffe, you know, lose his junk on a quarterback. And right. you never felt like David Cutcliffe quarterbacks were anything but extremely prepared and polished. Whereas, you know, Kirby, uh, you know, I watched one time against Michigan. Stetson came off the field and before halftime. They beaten the heck out of Michigan yeah. that year, three or four times. And he went off on Stetson Bennett. Like he fumbled five times, and, and at the end, well, what was that all about? Well, he was mad at, he didn't call a timeout. Well, wait a minute, couldn't Kirby have called a timeout? Do you guys remember what I'm, remember that game yeah, I'm talking yeah. about? That would, you know, so I, I guess my point is, George manages it differently. There's good competition there. You'll see that play out in September, and I'd be really surprised if we didn't see more than one quarterback start over the course of the season. Really? Okay. Yeah, because of the depth. Yeah. Now, we know you know Tennessee well from your time there. Sure. Uh, you got family there. Yeah, right? yeah. I got three kids there. You and bet. we know you have a relationship with Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. So what, what was your reaction to the NCAA ruling? And everything? Yeah. Did they got it right? or? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what right is. I mean, yeah. I, you know, if, if they were trying to, you know, make an example of Jeremy or, you know, the, 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 the what was it? Someone wrote to the NCAA and threatened to sue him if you punish the team or something like right, that. Yeah. It's like, well, I. I guess we can only do so much Tennessee, so let's just throw it all on Jeremy, you know. I mean, a six-year show cause to me seems extreme Yeah. Um, because that's somebody's livelihood. Right. I mean, could you make your point without ruining somebody's life? Right. And, do we, guys, do we really believe Jeremy Pruitt was doing anything that different than anywhere else in the league, if we're being honest about it? And, and I don't know that. It's not like I go, I can list blah, 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 blah. Right. I don't. Or, right. you know, I would, you know, obviously be obligated to report it's the right thing to do. But I don't know that. But we've all been around long enough. And I think fans, uh, certainly Tennessee fans, have been around long enough, uh, as have these, you know, fans here in Nashville. Uh, I, I just, it, it seemed extreme. I feel like there's another side to the story we don't know yet. Uh, I don't know that people really want to know it. Yeah. I don't know that anybody really wants that part of the story to get out. I think it's conveniently packaged, put away. Especially Ten- volunteer fans. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, look, I mean, it, listen, I, Tennessee fans, uh, look, these are good times that are yeah. coming. I mean, Tennessee people, oh, Tennessee's coming. No, Tennessee's here. I've been on that campus. I've seen those facilities. I feel that vibe every time I go back into town. This is 1990s. I'm yeah. getting flashbacks, okay? Now, I don't know if the Vols are going to win a national title this year or next year, but when I think about the success that I see in all the sports and when I think about how the leadership seems aligned from the president to the athletic director into the coaching staff, uh, you know, Tennessee is back where it was. Now, it took some tough times, um, you know, since Diamond Doug Dickey. Uh, you know, left as athletic director. The real problem happened when somebody decided to put the chancellor to oversee athletics. That was an absolute disaster. Uh, you know, I don't need to mention Jimmy Cheek and Jimmy Cheek and Joe DiPietro's name, so I won't. <laughs> but when you've got poor leadership like that, it can bring an entire program down, yeah. and they did. Yeah. Uh, Butch Jones trying to hire an offensive coordinator. 
and they say you can't spend more than $500,000. That is ridiculous. Yeah. But that's where Tennessee was. Well, we were talking with Matt Hayes yesterday, and he made, I mean, he was kind of joking, but I think he was making a good point for what Tennessee did. You know, what happens if Billy Napier doesn't live up to the expectations, Jimbo Fisher? The smart thing, instead of paying these buyouts, is exactly what Find you said. Cause. Bring, bring the NCAA in. It saved Tennessee some money. It could save some others. And I mean, could you potentially see that happening? Well, you know. Uh, and again, we're not saying Napier's you're cheating. About Billy we're, Napier. we're not saying Jimbo's cheating. I was just having Bruce Pearl flashbacks a minute ago. <laughs> talked about Tennessee fumbling a Hall of Fame coach away. Not that Rick Barnes hasn't done a sensational job. He has, but. I mean, has anybody done better than Bruce Pearl in Auburn? I mean, could you have ever imagined the day that Auburn basketball, I mean, they I They were just, completely I, irrelevant. I just can't even, and I covered Auburn basketball way back. And when Bruce took that job, I was like, this job's going to kill him. Yeah. He's going to coach so hard. And he's instead, he's killed it. Like, he didn't they beat, like, North Carolina and Kentucky in one turn or something yeah. stupid like that? And I should have known he could do it because I watched him do it at Tennessee, but I, I digress. Uh you know, I just had a discussion with some friends from Jacksonville about Billy Napier, and they're they're convinced that even if Florida has a losing record this year, that Billy Napier would be back for a third season. Yeah, I don't see it, man. It's easy to say that now, but I can't imagine Florida. You know, Florida hasn't had a coach have back-to-back losing seasons since the 1940s. Right. I can't even imagine that. And what seems even more crazy to me is that you have got arguably the greatest college football offensive mind sitting there two and a half miles away yeah steve spurrier yeah how in the world is he not part of the solution how in the world do you not consult with steve spurrier i i i i I, know and yes i'll admit i have an interest in coach spurrier uh i am the chairman for his coaching award and so i've built a relationship up with him over the last couple few years and I can tell you, he's still Steve Spurrier. <laughs> the, the other part of him that I'll share with you guys is that he is one of the most loyal, uh, warm personalities that I have ever met. I mean, what we saw on Saturdays, and, and again, it's unique that I'm the chairman because I never covered him. Yeah. I always covered the other team. I covered Auburn. I covered Alabama. I covered Tennessee. I covered Georgia. So I, I know of Spurrier from the other side of things. But now, haven't seen what's behind the curtain down there in Gainesville. And a, and a lot of these 1990s Gators come back for this Spurrier Award. That last year, uh, Sonny Dykes won. Uh, and, and the legend was, uh, was Bob, uh, yeah, Bob Stoops. Uh, you see, you kind of see the magic. And you see the connection. And it really wasn't that much different than when I felt at Tennessee with Al, Al Wilson and T. Martin and yeah. Peerless Price. And, and you guys know, right? You've been around it. I'm seeing it happen now with Georgia, that connection, that connectivity. Yeah. It takes a coach with great charisma and leadership to, to bring that out. And I just don't think Billy Napier has it. Yeah. I think he's a good football coach. I think he's a good man. But that's not enough. you got to have charisma. And you got to have a long enough runway. And if you have losing seasons at Florida, that just doesn't cut it. We know that fan base. We know that level of arrogance and self-importance. I mean, they can't hack a, a third year of Billy Napier if they don't have a respectable season and beat a, a Florida State or a Utah or a, or a Tennessee. Right. They just aren't going to go back to being downtrodden. The money people there just won't tolerate it. And the question is, if they could hire any coach they wanted, who would they get? 
if they fire Billy Napier. I've already got him fired. You've already heard <laughs> I've, I've already passed judgment. Sorry, Billy. I could be wrong about all this. He might win 10 games this year. Yeah. All you need to know is that, you know, George's leading returning wide receiver is a guy named Ladd McConkey. Yeah. Tennessee fans are like, oh, boy. <laughs> we know he was a Tennessee fan, and he, Jim Chaney never made it to his house. Everybody makes jokes. Jim stopped at a cafe somewhere. No, he didn't. He went to the high school. He just never went for the in-home visit. But Billy Napier is from that hometown really? and yeah. didn't even offer the guy a scholarship. I will say this. Stetson Bennett was headed to play for Billy Napier at Louisiana before Kirby Smart's 11th hour call on signing day in 2019. So at least he recognized Stetson Bennett. Yeah. But he, this is a guy that didn't even recruit a kid from his. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I like the yeah. guy. And I know it sounds like I'm picking on him a little bit, but the reality of it is is he didn't do a great job last year, and that's a place you better do a great job. Well, sticking with Florida, five years from now, is Florida, Georgia going to still be at a neutral site? Yeah. I, I know Kirby's not a fan of that. I, you know what? There's about – there's a, there's a, there's enough there's a few people that are and they're very important people and there's some fans that are too but to your point uh as competitive as things are it's just hard for me to imagine like could you imagine if tennessee and south carolina played every year in myrtle beach <laughs> or if alabama played lsu every year in new orleans yeah i mean you just you're not going to give up that big game you're just not going to give up an opportunity especially now and i pointed this out and I didn't do this to, to take a jab at, at, at Georgia fans, but just to enlighten them. You know, I look at what, what uh, your athletic director there, uh, Danny White, is doing and some of the plans for Neyland Stadium and yeah. what they're going to do down there and how it's going to be kind of like the Braves ballpark where yeah. they're going to put the restaurants and a landing. It's going to be an unbelievable vision. Yeah. Tennessee is going to jump ahead of so many other programs with what they're going to do around Neyland Stadium. And Philip Fulmer kind of opened it up with the walkway idea that he'd always had, and now we're hearing about restaurants. And can you imagine, guys, what that scene's going to be like when they do that? Yeah. And everybody can just stay right there around the stadium and – I mean, I just, you know, as if there's not enough orange and white already. <laughs> I just can't imagine. And meanwhile, Georgia's taking their best game and giving it, giving that $45 million of economic impact to northeast right. Florida. You know, I don't know if you've been to the Gainesville Airport lately, but I think they got about 16 <laughs> gates, right? Yeah. Athens doesn't have public flights going in and out, right? Yeah. If you want to look at the schools and the city infrastructure between Gainesville, which is 70 miles from Jacksonville and Athens, Georgia, it pales considerably. So there's a lot of inner workings and politics behind it. But to your point, common sense would dictate that you're going to want to uh, bring more value to your community where your university is at. I mean, Brock Bowers just told us yesterday a big part of the reason he told he chose Georgia was Athens. Yeah. It's, it, it, it really is an amazing college town. I, yeah. I think it's the best college town in the country. I think it edges out uh, Ann Arbor, right? Right. Now, you say Knoxville. Knoxville is a city. Knoxville yeah. is a metropolitan. Knoxville is a major league city that follows a college program. Right. Right. So that. So that's why I don't compare. That's, that's apples and oranges. No pun intended. Apples and oranges. Right. <laughs> yeah. But when we talk about college towns, you know, the Auburns, the Starkfields, the Oxfords, you know, Athens is so unique. I agree uh, with you. You've been there. Yeah, I've right? been there. Absolutely. I mean, Athens I mean, better than Columbia, Missouri. I'm kidding. <laughs> you had me going there. All right, last thing for you, Mike. Really appreciate your time. The question, this, this is the only question dog fans really have. Yeah. Do they go three for three for the first time in the AP poll history? Wow. 
wow, you know, that's, uh, I mean, the betting guy would say no. I mean, nobody's done it since Minnesota in 1936. You know, Georgia's won 27 straight regular season games going back to playing Florida and Jacksonville uh, in, in uh, 2020. Um, there's been so many changes in that program and their personnel. I mean, Jalen Carter was like two people. Yeah. It's like they had 12 guys on the field yeah. because he Game literally record. was – well, you saw it. I mean, Kirby called him a train wrecker and havoc maker, and he was. And and Kenny McIntosh, I, which I still don't understand how he slipped in the draft, but this guy was like Marshall Falk with yeah. his ability to catch the ball downfield. He was he was a receiver. Yeah. And then and then when he needed to be a running back, he was running over people down the stretch. They Kenneth Melton is incredibly talented, but can he catch the, the can he catch the wheel route thirty five yards? Can he beat the linebacker? Do they have it? Darnell Washington, uh, Agent Zero, uh, Tennessee called him, among other things, apparently, according to these reports, <laughs> uh, was it was a game changer. Six foot eight, two seventy. Yeah. Even though he only caught twenty eight balls, he changed how you had to defend Georgia. Right. When you've got a guy like that, it's an impossible matchup. If you go big, he runs routes on you. If you go small, they truck you, and and he's gone. So the Georgia offense, a lot of people are going to say, "Oh well, Todd Munkin's gone," and, and Munkin was ingenious, no doubt. But they're going to be a more conventional offense. They're not going to have that double tight end with that do everything back. Yeah. They're going to be more of a three-wide receiver. I love it. They're transferred from Missouri. I think he's a game-breaker. I think Ladd McConkey is special. They don't have the elite X, though, that they did before Adonai Mitchell transferred. We've talked about the uncertainty at quarterback. Offensive line is tremendous. But do they have the players that can swing those games, like Missouri, like Ohio State? And the other teams are going to be lined up for Georgia. Right, they're going to know what they're going to oh, get yeah. from the Bulldogs' yeah. defense, and and every year it gets a little bit tougher. That's why no teams ever three-peated. So if you're asking what, where I would bet my money, I would say no. But it's I can't pick a game and say that's, that's going to be the game. Yeah. I mean, you, you, we, I mentioned Auburn only because it's on the road and only because it's first road game. A lot of people point to Tennessee. I think that's too obvious. I think yeah. and, and Kirby just. Kirby's got an edge for Tennessee, man. I mean, he never beat the Vols. Playing, playing yeah. Never beat the Vols as a player. Yeah. And and I've talked to players that, that Coach Smart's a little different that week. Okay. <laughs> and Auburn and Tennessee bring out the best or the worst in them, depending on how you look at it. Right. And, you know, that's a very and and now this this, this Tate Ratledge kid. My goodness, he's oh, going. He'll never hear the end of it talking about how Neyland Stadium was the best stadium in the league. And, yeah. and you better believe that'll probably be his best game of the year. And. But Tennessee's got some great potential, and Coach right. Heupel's obviously an unbelievable coach. And we'll see what happens with their quarterback sit and their defense. By the way, yeah. we know the fans are going to show up, right? Right. We know what the oh, environment's yeah. going to be like. But I almost feel like that's one that's going to be circled for Georgia. So I'd say no, but I, I can't tell you. I can't say well that's the game because game by game by game, you say they quote unquote should win all of them. Yeah. Um, but but again, I'll flash back to Tennessee. I'll flash back to 1999, and and tell you guys the story. So Florida had lost eight of their 11 starters on defense, and Tennessee brought back Jamal Lewis and Travis Henry and, and Chad Clifton and Cozy Coleman and all sorts of college football Hall yeah. of Famers. T. Martin was back for another year, and he said, oh, my gosh, they're, they're going to win another national title. All they lost was Al Wilson and Peerless Price, two pretty good players, but they had so much back. Right. Raynock Thompson and Eric Westmoreland, and, and uh, I think Dion might have already left. I mean, it was Dion, but no, Dion Grant was back. Yeah, yeah. They were so loaded. You just knew they were going to go back-to-back. 
but they're playing Florida. It's the second game of the season down the swamp. And you're in this guy named Alex Brown. You guys remember? You yeah. know what I'm going <laughs> oh, with this? God. Unfortunately, he had, he still had five, have nightmares. He had five sacks in the game. Yeah. Could not figure out what was going on. I'm trying to remember the name of the right tackle. Do you Josh, remember what uh, T. Martin said leading up it, to that game? Was it Josh Tucker? Was that the name of the right tackle uh, for that game? What did, yeah. what did T. say? He said something like Gainesville. It's no different than playing in Lexington. And they played that. He, they played that all week long on the radio. Oh God, I remember that. Now you got that, Milton out there. That, was, that wasn't it. That wasn't what did it. Did you guys ever hear why Alex Brown had five sacks no. in that game? Oh, I get to tell you a, a Tennessee secret. This is good. So Chad Clift, or excuse me, uh, Spencer Riley was the center, and T was the quarterback. And they'd worked out a little deal where right before T would say "hut," he'd, he'd give a little tap. So it was "hut," right? Alex Brown picked up on that. So the ball was moving on that tip mm. before T would say hut. So that's why the right tackle, and, and I think, gosh, I don't know if it's, but I remember at one time Cozy Coleman came back to huddle and said, and then Cozy dropped back to try to block this rush end from his guard spot because he had a better angle, right? But that's what it was. They were tipping off the snap for Alex Brown. And that little detail took Tennessee off the rails for a national championship. They beat Florida without that. There's no question. You could call. You could talk about Jamal Lewis not picking up a yard, but again, T called an audible and Florida pointed right where he was going. I mean, Florida did a great. My point is this. Little things like that can, can completely derail a season. Mm-hmm. And Georgia has been on the right side of those breaks the last two years. But they'll tell you. There's, they'll tell you about second and 26. In 2017, when Tua looked off the safety and and, and hit uh, Devontae Smith, they'll tell you they should have won that game. They'll tell you about uh, you know 2018 and and what went wrong. That was a very good Georgia team in 2018. Capable, they, they lose their outside linebacker to injury, and the next guy up still doesn't know how to play contain. You know, little things can make a difference. And the last two years, Georgia's gotten the breaks, Mike. And for them to win a third title, they got to get the breaks again. And in the SEC, you know, usually the odds kind of catch up to you, just like yep. they did Tennessee in 1999, just like they did Alabama. Uh, it'll be fun to see. Uh, it's been a historic program to cover. I've covered three programs now that had undefeated season. I covered 93 Auburn when they went 11-0. I covered the 13-0 Vols. And now last year's Georgia team. And I can tell you, every one of them, the, the consistent theme was they got the breaks. Yeah. And it's just you're just it's like sitting at the poker table, man. You know, some nights you're red hot and you're thinking yeah. you're a really good poker player. Other nights you just you can't get the cards. It doesn't matter what you do. Right. So there's there's a lot of fate involved. Yeah, yeah I'll just say Absolutely. That. I really yeah. appreciate it, Mike. Before yeah. you go, tell the audience where can they find sure. all your work. Well they can find me on Twitter at Mike Griffith thirty two and they can read me at dognation.com and I'll be on uh, the SEC network again on Thursday nights on the Feinbaum show and, and whenever you guys will give me an opportunity to sit down with you, I love to do that too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was great. Well, and he even got to poke old Hugh there at Auburn. So let's naturally, let's go to the Auburn Tigers. Hugh Freeze, year one impact. The fans are fired up. What's it going to take to have another big debut season for Hugh Freeze? Let's kick it over to Auburn's first year coach publicly before that everywhere you've been you guys and your coaching staff has done a great job of turning around programs quickly on a timeline that's probably quicker how do you rank the Auburn situation coming into your two previous stops easier harder as far as getting the timeline expedited uh if you'll permit me I I would love to so 
Um, when I took over at Arkansas State, um, they had never had a winning season since going FBS. And we won 10 games in year one, won the Sun Belt Conference. Then we come to Ole Miss, and they had not won an SEC game in two years. And we win seven games that year and go, go to a bowl game. Then Liberty moving to FBS, which I thought was probably after spring ball, I was like, There's, we will not win a game, you know, um, because and somehow we won eight games. Now, how do I compare Auburn to that? I've, I've thought about this question, and I honestly don't know. I would think it would be easier at Auburn, but – Yet uh, the league probably has gotten better than it was when I took over at Ole Miss. And, and so I'm not sure that's an accurate feeling. Um, now, I was blessed at all of those spots to have quarterbacks that played really well. Bo Wallace and Ryan Applin at Arkansas State and then Buckshot to Malik at, at Liberty, and I think that's – you don't have a trigger guy that plays well, you don't have much of a chance to turn it very fast. And so I think a lot will weigh upon how, how effective we are at that spot. But great question. We have had success doing that. I hope that continues. Coach Lips. So this is interesting. I didn't quite realize this. I'm not a Hugh Freeze fanatic here, but uh, <laughs> went back and looked at uh, his first year's like Marler said, I mean, he's done a great job everywhere he's been, particularly that first year. First FBS job, Arkansas State in 2011. They went 10-2, and two, like he said there. They were 4-8 and eight the year prior. 2012 Ole Miss, 7-6. and six. Not a great record, but what were they the year before? 0-10. Oh so that's a massive improvement. And at Liberty, his first year, 2019, they went 8-5. and five. They were 6-6 six and six the year prior. So, the last three stops, they've gotten better each and every season. They should do that again. It'll be a major, major disappointment if they don't. Uh, now, part of that is, you know, Auburn was so poor last year. But, I mean, it's a difficult slate. He didn't inherit much. You heard it from him. You know, they've got to have a quarterback. They've got a couple of options. We'll see what they look like in this offense. But in Phillip Montgomery's system, they should really take off on that side of the ball, uh, particularly if they can get a, a quarterback to come in there. Very quarterback-friendly system that they got now running that Baylor, Josh Heupel, Lane Kiffin-style offense there on the Plains. Now, one other thing, I didn't realize this, missed this at the time. I realized that they had sold out of season tickets, but according to Hugh, this is the most Season tickets ever sold in the offseason in program history. Them Tigers, baby, they're fired up for the debut of the Hugh Freeze era. Right side, back row. Corey LeBounty, WNSP 105.5 in Mobile, Alabama. Coach, you've been on the job close to eight months now. What have you learned most about the Auburn culture and what fascinates you most about the Auburn program? It may be the most welcoming um friendliest listen we love uh we've we we love the community we love our church there it's been incredible our pastor miles has been awesome uh, my family is all there so it's that makes it better for me truthfully um i don't know I, I feel like i'm the luckiest coach to to have 
you know, two of our daughters are out of school and married, and to have them there, and then our youngest to be a student there, and us to, to all get to experience this together probably makes it better. Not that the other places haven't been. I mean, we loved our time in Oxford and have great friends there, and Lord, our time on Liberty Mountain was incredible too. Um, but the the passion that the Auburn people have for this program and their hunger to see it return is evident everywhere you go. Listen. For us to sell more season tickets at this point than ever in the history of the program, um, I don't think that speaks to to me or our staff. I just think it speaks to the fact that the Auburn people are showing their support uh, for this program and and what they believe it can be. So it's been um, it's been really welcoming. And I guess this shouldn't surprise me either, considering all the incredible environment that uh, those fans showcased after Harson got let go and Cadillac became intro. Man, they were willing Cadillac to be the next head coach. Obviously, now he's associate head coach, still on staff. So, who knows? He may be the next coach after Hugh Freeze. But uh, to say Auburn fans are, are fired up, that's an understatement right there. Cannot wait to see what Auburn brings to the table this fall because SEC football is just it's not the same without Auburn being a competitive program, and one that you got to circle every year against LSU, against Georgia, against Bama, against Ole Miss, Mississippi State, on and on and on. Auburn, you want them to be good again. The SEC is just not the same when Auburn's down. So next, let's kick it over to this uh, interview. Nathan King from Auburn 24-7 Sport. He's one of the sharpest guys, not only covering Auburn, but in the entire SEC. Really appreciate Nathan spending some time with us at SEC Media Days. All right, we're joined by Nathan King, Auburn Undercover 24-7 Sports Network. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us in person. Yeah, of course. Good to meet you guys. Been uh, been doing your show here for yeah. a couple of years, meeting Shane for the first time, so uh, <laughs> good to be here. And obviously Hugh Freeze, one of the biggest storylines here at Media Days, and uh, just, I mean, it's night and day different with the optimism. But what is realistic expectations, do you think, for Auburn year one under Hugh Freeze? Sure. So, I mean, as you guys know, the, the schedules are never kind to Auburn. That's that's kind of what you agree to in the SEC West, soon to be, obviously, divisionless. But, you know, you look at strength of schedules, Auburn's always near the top. And so I think this year things play out pretty favorably if you're looking at a year one for a head coach. Because if you go on the road and you beat Cal, which Auburn is playing for the first time, this season, week two in Berkeley, you do that, you're going to be 4-0 in the non-con. Um, and then you pick up a couple SEC wins, you'll be back to a bowl game. And I know I know that's not that's not where Auburn fans want to be long-term. Like, obviously, they, they want to be doing a lot more than a bowl game. But you guys know, as well as anybody, the depths they fell to, not only their record under Brian Harson, but the roster was just obviously in shambles. And so I was wondering what next year was going to look like when Hugh Freeze was hired. Obviously, thought he was a, thought he was a really good coach, thought it was a good fit, thought it was a good hire. The transfer portal is what turned me around. Mm-hmm. The work they did in about three months' time, I hesitate to say flip the roster, but really improve a ton of different positions, and then they went and got themselves an actual quarterback, um, really made me think, okay, this team can win seven games yeah. next year. Again, not the long-term expectation. Freeze has talked about it many times. 12-team playoff is maybe something you could see like a 9-3 and three Auburn get in pretty often. That's what they want in the long term. But I think at this point, six or seven wins is definitely sort of a baseline expectation for this team. Is it too hard to know what the offense will be with all the moving parts? But with Philip Montgomery coming in there, I'm excited to see if they run yep. that Baylor-style offense. Everywhere he's been, highly, highly productive quarterbacks. May not have that type of year this year at Auburn, but 
you freeze the saying, you know, uh, Ashford and Thorne, we got two guys we can play with here. Uh, what do you think the offense will look like this year? Yeah, I'm glad you bring up Montgomery. I mean, that's not something that's talked about enough. I think that is a really good fit when you talk about what they want to do on offense. Good fit with what Hugh Freeze has done um, in the past. And everywhere you look, like you mentioned, he's had good quarterback play. I mean, I know it's a while ago, but Robert Griffin III turned out pretty well. Case Keenum obviously did a bunch. But at Tul- even at Tulsa, you look mm-hmm. at some of the quarterbacks he had there, extreme productivity on offense. And so I think Thorne fits into that system um, really, really well. They do need to have a good ground game to complement it. And obviously a big storyline this week was the availability of Jarquez Hunter. That's such a murky situation. We still don't have any clarity on that. Um, But if he's unavailable, even for just a couple games, that's going to be a big blow to them, obviously, replacing Tank Bigsby. To me, where I come back to and and put a big focus on for this team, as you guys know, offensive line has been, I mean, it's been so inconsistent for this Auburn team. Um, They've had good quarterbacks cycle in. I mean, Jarrett Stidham was an NFL quarterback. Bo Nix is going to be an NFL quarterback. And they're just running for their lives. I mean, it's been a really, really inconsistent O-line for this team. They bring in three transfers, three of the top 10 24-7 offensive linemen at center, at left tackle, and right tackle. In the spring, those guys slotted right in. I think they have a chance to one of their better O-lines, maybe since 2018, 2017. I think this can be a really good offensive line for them. And so I think that's probably the... The point that you're looking at on the offense is saying, where can they take the biggest step forward next season? But in terms of meshing, I mean, you guys heard Hugh Freeze talk about it. It is Philip Montgomery's show. It's kind of the standard play-calling setup right. that you see a lot of the time. It's his show, but Hugh Freeze reserves the right to come in and uh, to come in and change some things every once in a while. So I thought it was funny because it was a little bit different than the previous day when uh, – I forget what Jimbo's words were. But, uh, yeah, he'll <laughs> – oh, he say he probably will call plays. Yeah, he'll probably have control of the offense. So I was like, <laughs> all right, already off to a great start with, uh, with that relationship. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how their, how their offense grows together. Hey, if you were a gambling man, who who would you say would be the quarterback the final week of Auburn's year? Yeah, it's tough for me to not say Peyton Thorne at yeah. this point. Um, seven times the number of career touchdown passes that Robbie Ashford has. You're talking 49 to right. to seven last year for Ashford. And, and to, you know, to give proper context and uh, you know credit where credit is due for Robbie Ashford last year. Number one, dealt with every injury you could even name from head to toe because he was a guy that, look, there wasn't much working. He was putting his body on the line, yeah. um, a really good athlete who could, who could run the ball. Number two, we just talked about it. They didn't have a great O-line. I mean, he, he didn't have much help in that department. And another position group we haven't talked about is receiver that I think they've really upgraded in the transfer portal. He didn't have a number one guy. I don't even know if he had a number two or a number three guy. And so you looked at the group coming back this year, you're saying they don't have a lot of alphas at receiver. And so it was tough last year for Ashford, like, He's in a better position to succeed. Let's say he is the starter. I think he will have a much better season under Hugh Freeze. And it was sort of a you know square hole, round peg sort of situation. Yeah. Brian Harson, you know, adaptability was not necessarily in their in their vocabulary there for a couple years within that offense. And so they kept trying to pound that in there with Robbie Ashford, and it it, it wasn't necessarily working to what they wanted to do, and they didn't really adapt very well. But yeah, I'd have to go with Thorne. Yeah. Um, He's already made great impressions. I mean, just talking to some players yesterday, he's already made great impressions yeah. within that building. Robbie's a great kid, though, and he's going to give him he's going to give him a fight because he again, you know, you can be the best pocket passer in the world, um, but Robbie can do some things that he can't. And yeah. so I'm interested to see what that what that looks like over the course of fall camp. Free said, you know, give us about ten practices and we'll cut the battle down to two. We presume that's going to be Thorne and Ashford. It's just tough for me at this point with all the improvements they made on offense to not say, yeah, it'll be it'll be Peyton Thorne. I think that'll be a good thing. Yeah, them. I think they'll be much better at quarterback than they were last year. Well, going going, I mean, covering Auburn, going from Brian Harson <laughs> yeah. to Hugh Freeze, isn't that just like a dream scenario? <laughs> I mean, even throw. I mean, you could sprinkle a little Lane Kiffin in there here in yeah, the off yeah. season. How how awesome is this this this? I don't know this rejuvenation sure. uh, of Auburn. Yeah, I mean it started under Cadillac is the thing. Like yeah. there's there's you mentioned those yeah, coaches, there's point. another one in there yeah, as well. Yeah, that's true. Um 
I mean, what a surreal end to last season that was. You're having Auburn play these, like, inconsequential games. They're already clearly not going to a bowl game. And people have talked about it over and over again. But that Texas A&M home game, I mean, unbelievable. Like, I, I had to leave the press box before it started because I just <laughs> had to see them run on the field. Um, I mean, it, it, was just, it was just amazing. And so the way they kind of rallied there, that was such a good starting point. And, and Freeze did the smart thing. One of my buddies on the beat made a good point. When they were looking for any coach, he said, the one thing this, this coach has to do is tweet a picture, like shaking hands in his office with Cadillac. <laughs> Automatic win, day one. Like, you have to have it. He did almost that exact thing. Like, yep. the night he was hired, it was like Cadillac's the associate head coach, <laughs> yeah. and, he, and he posted yeah. a picture with him and everything. And so, um, you know, fans are always going to be really mad if that didn't happen. But, you know, freeze, freezes fit at Auburn, I think, is a word that gets thrown yeah. around a lot. Because I was in the camp, as I'm sure many people were, that thought Lane Kiffin would be an interesting yeah. hire. Um, no reason to think his offenses wouldn't be good. No reason to think he wouldn't be do a good job and, and contend in the West with the talent that Auburn has, would he have been a three-year rental? What, what happens if the Texas job comes open? Or what happens if, you know, Freeze is in a position where, and he's talked about it this week, he only had a handful of jobs that he really wanted to leave Liberty for because he was chilling. He was obviously, you know, working off some of his past transgressions and, and just kind of laying under the spotlight. Um, Auburn was obviously one of those. We saw earlier this week that Tennessee apparently had him in, yeah. the, in the mix. I would imagine that would be a job he would have gone for um, if that would have been an opportunity for him but you know you're talking about the difference in covering them it's pretty night and day yeah um you know there was a lot of stuff working against brian harson that was out of his control um but i do think the fit wasn't as good at auburn and i don't think he necessarily had um as great of a grasp of kind of what you need to do on the day in and day out and i'm not just talking about you know schmoozing boosters and stuff that's yeah. that's yeah. that's obviously part of it but look somebody like gus malzahn didn't even like doing that he <laughs> right. he, he just wanted to coach football <laughs> and he was still pretty successful at times yeah. as well but I think Hugh Freeze, I kind of compare him a little bit to the, the fit that Bruce Pearl is for Auburn basketball. Just kind of has a kind of knows what you need to do, and, he, and he's right. done a good job this offseason of even building up that goodwill within the fan base and sort of setting realistic expectations like, hey, you guys should be excited about A, B, and C, but um, you know, we'll see what happens when we get on the field. <laughs> like Knowing the kind of uphill battle they bought, they, they've got, knowing the talent gap they have yeah. to close with Georgia and Alabama, they're still a long ways away, but I think he's done a good job of, of setting realistic expectations and just saying, look, we'll take this thing one day at a time and see where it gets us once we get back in better in recruiting and kind of see where it gets us down the yeah. road. Well, I love tweeting out a lot of troll shit. And one of my favorite <laughs> from last year, Cadillac Williams, 1-0 versus Jimbo Fisher. I mean, and that's, I mean, <laughs> it's that's factual. Yeah, yeah, right. You're not so, lying to anybody. I mean, I, I just love that. But uh, <laughs> what an atmosphere that was. But yeah. uh, speaking of that Ole Miss game, how bad do you think that Auburn fan base wants to beat Lane yeah. Kiffin? Who, who knows how close that really was. But sure. uh, I think – I think there's some serious bad blood between the fans. And, and I, yeah. even it seems like Hugh Freeze and Lane Kiffin. Of course, everyone's got bad blood with Lane Kiffin, it seems yeah. like, at times. You know what? Yeah, and sometimes it's fabricated on Kiffin's right. part. Of it. <laughs> I am excited to, to talk to Kiffin tomorrow. He's, he's thrown some jabs, yeah. some lighthearted jabs at Freeze, like the day he got hired um, when Freeze was saying that he thinks Auburn is a better job than Ole Miss. Kiffin responding to that. He knows how to play that up. Yeah, um, talking yeah. about how close it was, I can I can say it was very close. I remember sitting in my sitting in my brother's dorm room on the campus of the University of Alabama uh, before the Iron Bowl and sort of sifting through that and realizing Kiffin's fallen off here and, and yeah. Hugh, Hugh Freeze is way up here. And then you cut to 48 hours later and they've hired Hugh Freeze. And so um, I believe it was down to those two and they, and they, and they ended up deciding on um, Hugh Freeze. Who knows if Kiffin would have taken the job, but I know for a fact that the only offer was extended to Hugh Freeze. Um, no offer was extended to Lane Kiffin. Obviously, he signs the extension right. there. Um, I'm glad you bring up that game, though, because that's one. Obviously, they have Georgia and Alabama at home. Like you got to circle those games. But that's a huge, huge game for them this season, I think, because if we're breaking down the schedule, you could go 4-0 in the non-con. 
there's two SEC games you have to have. You go to Vanderbilt. I think they're better, like Clark Lee a lot. You have to win that game. Yeah. Um, and then you get Mississippi State at home, and for obviously you know all the wrong reasons. They're, they're in a transition period. I think Auburn will be a, a good bit better than them. Have to win those two games. You look at that Ole Miss game. They play LSU, they play A&M, they play Georgia before that, and A&M's on the road. You could be 0-3 in the SEC. Sort of a backs against the wall, and then, like you mentioned, you come home to Jordan-Hare, and you kind of just get to release some, some frustrations and just saying, we've got to go get an SEC win. I think that's really a good spot for them. Um, I'm glad you bring that up about Kiffin. I've been, I've been saying the same thing where I think they will be really charged up um, as much as Hugh Freeze maybe wants to downplay it, and, and I, I do think he enjoyed his tenure in Oxford for the most part, except for the way it ended. Um, I think he'll be charged up about that game as well. I think the players will. And uh, I think maybe some of the Lane Kiffin hate will be a bit fabricated <laughs> as well just because it's just a normal coaching search uh, yeah. and they just didn't hire the guy. But I do think you're right. Yeah. I think Auburn fans will be like, yeah, we're, we're out to get Lane Kiffin. He, he didn't really do anything wrong. <laughs> but um, I do think that'll be a really, really good environment. It was two years ago when Kiffin came and, and Auburn beat an Ole Miss team that I think was a good bit better yeah. than them and Jordan-Hare. Yeah. I think that's a swing game. If you're talking about the difference between six and seven wins, getting an Ole Miss team at home – I'll be interested to see what that team looks like yeah. this season. But getting them at home in a point of the year midway through the season where maybe your back is against the wall, maybe that's the difference between six and seven wins for this yeah. Auburn team. Well, I appreciate your time, brother. Yeah, at, of course. Appreciate for the fans, can you please tell them where to find you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can find me on Threat. I'm just kidding. Uh, you can, <laughs> you can find, uh, Twitter at uh, NathanKing247. And then uh, AuburnUndercover.com. Our whole crew is here this week. It's fun. It's first time I've ever been here for all four days. Going to be here tomorrow as well. And so it's been a lot of fun. AuburnUndercover.com. You guys can uh, go, go, get, go get all that coverage. All right. Thank Appreciate you so you, much. Bro. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a bunch. All right. Next up, Mississippi State's debut head coach, Zach Arnett. Of course, he was the head coach in the bowl game. They won over old Burt up there at Illinois. So technically, he has coached a full game as a head coach, and he's undefeated. Best record in Mississippi State history for now. But uh, – <laughs> One thing that really struck me about Zach Arnett, no-nonsense ball coach. And I think that fits Mississippi State well, particularly after uh, you know the Pirate will miss him. We honor and tribute to him always. But significantly different personality, uh, that old Pirate there in Zach Arnett, getting a, a tough-minded, no-nonsense guy, which Leach certainly was. He was a... A lot of people don't know that. He was an offensive line coach before he was ever an OC and soon-to-be Hall of Fame head coach. But Zach Arnett was asked about the defense, what would be changing, adding tight ends to the roster. You, you'll see some of this vibe that I picked up. I mean, this guy is just – he's all about the ball. He's all about the players. And I think that's the way you got to be to have success in the SEC and particularly at Mississippi State. You were the defensive coordinator. You have the free reign. Are you going to see much differences with your defense? And then also the tight end will be back in Starkville, I guess. It's become in vogue to use that position in the last 10 years or so. What can we see from the tight end position in the Mississippi State offense? Oh, I think, uh, I mean, defensively, we're going to do whatever it takes to hopefully play good defense and <laughs> keep the opposing offense out of the end zone, right? That's ultimately the goal. Whether that is aggressive and blitzing and playing man coverage, whether that is vanilla, you know, playing more traditional and playing coverage first, um, who knows if it's even been in the three-three-five, right? We're going to get the best eleven players on the field. So if that's for us, if that's four D linemen and two linebackers, we'll do that. Uh, again, I'm the head coach now, but Matt Brock's a defensive coordinator, and he's spending a lot more time in that film room. Uh, let's let's call it what it is. He's spending more time in there studying it than I am, right? 
that's why I had him call, call it in the bowl game because I didn't think I was giving it the proper preparation in order to call a good game. I thought he would do a better job. And so we'll, we'll see when we line up the first week what our, what our defense looks like. I'm sure it's going to be, you know, largely much like it's been the last few years. And like you said, on offense, uh, you know, we do have guys in our program who are, who are tight ends. Uh, obviously the tight end position is unique in that it, you know, it creates longer edges in there in the box, right, which creates more gaps. Uh, allows you to do some different run schemes, uh, and then it opens up. And yet he's still athletic enough to create plays in the passing game, right? It open up. It opens up some different pass protections. Play action passes off of it, and so if if that is what gives us the best chance to move the football and score points, then yeah, we'll have a tight end out there at times. If it doesn't, if it's better to have four receivers, then we'll be in ten personnel. And we got pretty good running backs too, so it might be in twenty. <laughs> And on that same theme, new offensive coordinator Kevin Barbet, pretty interesting exchange here with uh, Zach Arnett shared about the hiring process and trying to get a read on these offensive coordinators and what they wanted to bring to Mississippi State. Couldn't even answer the question, not because he's not knowledgeable, but because he had to see what he was inheriting at Mississippi State, Kevin Barbet, the new coordinator, said. So let's kick it over to Zach Arnett. I got some thoughts on this on the other side. Of course, you have a new offensive coordinator this year in Kevin Barbe, who had one of the most efficient passing attacks last year at App State. And his, his offense was much more balanced in the air raid system under Leach. I was going to ask you, what's, what's the offensive identity going to be this year? Of course, are we, are we going to see something much different than we have in the past few years? Or is it going to be somewhat similar? Or do you think, just overall, what is the identity of the offense for 2023? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, actually, because that was my first question in my in offensive coordinator interviews as we went throughout this process was, hey, what's the identity, right? What's the offense going to look like when it runs out there? And it was really refreshing to hear, but Kevin said, well, I can't, I can't give you that answer until I know who the best 11 players are, right? And that level of humility that it is not about the coordinator, it is not about the scheme maybe that's, what's, that's happened other places. It is about the, identifying the best players and getting them on the field because you're always, you're always best served having your best players on the field. And so, obviously, that process started in spring practice. It's going to continue on through, through training camp, right? You mentioned the places that Kevin's been. He's had some of the most efficient and explosive offenses. They've been really good at scoring points, moving the ball. And everywhere he's been, it's looked a little bit different, whether it be the same school from year to year or whether it changes school. Well, why is that? Well, because you got different players, right? You go to a different, different school, you got different players, Every year you got guys coming and going, right, to graduation, new players coming in because of recruiting. And so every year you're going to have a little bit of different identity because it is all about the players. Right, coaches and scheme don't influence players. Players influence and affect the scheme with which you run. So, I mean, it, I'm sure we're going to be a little bit more balanced because let's be honest, I don't think there's a person in college football who throws the ball as much as Mike Leach when he's calling plays. Right? So I'm sure we'll run the ball a little bit more. But uh, getting our best players on the field, if that's 10 personnel, that's 10 personnel. If that's 11, if that's 11, right? I can, I can promise you, air raid is not, the only, is not the only offense that runs Y-cross or 95. It's called four verts, three-level flood. Every, off, every offense in the country runs those. It's just how they get to them is differently. Some do it in spread out sideline to sideline formations. Others do it in more condensed sets, traditional formations with a tight end. 
uh, at the end of the day, you're trying to maximize and create space on offense and get the ball in your best player's hands. Now, I've said this many times before on this show, but it rings true. These coaches, many of them got an ego, <laughs> in case you didn't know. And the fact that here at Mississippi State, we're not letting ego get in the way. We're letting the players dictate the scheme. Now, they have to actually do that. They're saying they're going to do it, which is great. we got to see it on the field. But many of these guys simply will not do that. Uh, they think they're geniuses. They think they're, they're there because they're you know the sharpest offensive minds in college football, which is true. But you have to be willing to adapt. And we've seen great coaches in this league not last long or have great success and then fail to adapt, and then they're out on their ass before long. Particularly at Mississippi State. Well, let's just call it like it is. I mean, Mississippi State could recruit at a historic level, and they're probably still fourth, fifth best overall talent in the West. And I realize the West is going away, but still, the point remains the same. You are a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to overall talent and overall roster, so you have to play to the strengths of that roster. I think you have to do that at Mississippi State more than just about maybe one or two other schools in the SEC. So, again, I'm loving these comments here by Zach Arnett. And one last one from him, the level of experience and the commitment to Mississippi State that Will Rogers showed this offseason in his leadership Mississippi State is in great hands here with their star quarterback back for one more season. Maybe two, but at least one more season. Coach Keggs, TV and College Station. Uh, Will Rogers, last couple of years, has had his way with AM, honestly, I think over 730 yards, passing six TDs, no interceptions. Just what's he mean to your program as your quarterback? Yeah, Will's done a lot of good things over the last several years, right? Versus a lot of people. Uh, it's pretty comforting to know you got the you got a quarterback coming back who's got the most SEC starts of any quarterback in the league going into this season. All right, he's the SEC career completions record holder. I think he owns 29 different school passing records. I mean, the guy's a football guy. Right? And he's a he's a he is Mississippi State. He's a football guy. And simply put, right at the end of the year, he could have went in the transporter and he could have went anywhere in the country. Now, you see the way guys are getting recruited out of the portal. If they have any any experience or game fill at all at the Division One level, uh, they're pretty valued because experience is valuable, right? Age and maturity is valuable in this sport. And, I mean, he didn't consider that once, right? And I think that speaks volumes. And a lot of guys in our program, not just Will, older guys who were impact players for us last year, right? They're, they decided – they made a decision to come back. I think that speaks volumes – about what they think of, about our program, right, the environment that we have inside our building and the, and the trajectory that our program's on. And I think that's huge because when you have this much turnover in the transition, you got to have leaders step up. And it's clear as day, Will Rogers, it's his team right there in Starkville, Mississippi. And he even had a, a fun co- comment, his own here during media days. I just – since we're talking Georgia, I thought they would love this too. But what makes it so tough going up against them Georgia Bulldogs on defense? Let's kick it over to Will Rogers. Uh, Jalen Carter's pretty good. Um, you know, I mean, everybody on their defense is a five-star or plays for the Eagles. So 
They're pretty good. Well, of course, half the damn team's in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, it's all about the players, man. Georgia's got the players. That's been evident the last couple of years on the field, no doubt. Next, let's kick it over to our interview, Stefan Kreisnick from the Clarion Leisure. A little deep dive on them Bulldogs. Let's kick it over to Steph. We're here with Stefan. Steph, please pronounce your last I, w- I want to see if Shane can get it. Kreisnick. Christ. Oh, okay, that's easy. Why do I screw Wait, that I'm, up every I'm, time? I'm listening. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All right, there we go. Say that again. I'm sorry. Christnick. Christnick. There you go. Oh, yeah. Shane's got it's it down. my middle name. <laughs> He's the brains of the harder. operation. <laughs> well, Steph, of course, covers Mississippi State down here at SEC Media Days. What was impressions, Zach Arnett, first time at uh, Media Days? I mean, he spoke a lot like a coach who had been here before, right? Like, he didn't look nervous up there. He was pretty confident. I mean, he's talking about, you know, Mississippi State making the expanded playoff and, and contending and, you know, the, the history they've had of, you know, recent nine-win seasons like last year and, and the first-round picks that they've had. I mean, he, he speaks like a guy who, you know, has – I mean, he has been at Mississippi State for a while, right? He's been there yeah. as a defensive coordinator. But, he, you know, for a first-year head coach at any level, uh, he, he doesn't sound like it, right? He sounds like a guy who's, who's confident, and I think – you know, for, for state fans and, and for some of our readers, I think they like to hear that because there's so many questions surrounding the program. You know, what's he like as a head coach? What's the offense going to look like under Kevin Barbe? To have him go up there and pretty matter-of-factly be like, oh, I don't care about this, like, narrative about state not being good because we're going to be good, right? <laughs> like, right. He's, he backs it up with the, the history and the stats. He's, he's a real confident guy. And the consensus, not with everybody, but with most people, is Mississippi State will be seventh mm-hmm. in the West. That, I assume that's where they're going to be voted in the poll. That's what I would imagine, yeah. Why, why will Mississippi State finish better than seventh? Well, because you look at the last you know decade or so of state football, and you know they've been predicted to finish last multiple times, and they've only maybe finished last like once or twice in, yeah. in that stretch. They, they just don't. They're, they're not a program, or at least haven't been, you know, especially under Mike Leach, that has you know the bottom fall out or you know fall out at the uh, uh, during a season, right? I mean, you see a team like Auburn last year, A and M, like that when they get when it gets bad, it gets bad, right? And it starts to snow snowball. You know, State's done a good job, and and I mean, it's a Mike Leach mantra that I think the players that that the veterans have really bought into of you know play the next play, they could flush out the the week before. You really don't see losing streaks for this team, especially you know since Mike Leach came in. Uh, in, in 2020, you, you really haven't seen that, you know, collapse of a season. Um, so I think the state's in a position with eight home games this year. Um, you know, obviously a tough SEC West schedule, but they're kind of at a point where, you know, they know that, you know, if they lose to an Alabama, they can bounce back the next week wherever they're playing and, and kind of flush it quick. They've done a good job of that. And that's why I, I just don't see a world in which state, you know, goes one and seven or, or two, two and six in SEC play, right? Like I, I just see, you know, this is a team that's so – you know, consistent in their approach and so veteran heavy that, you know, three and five seems like worst case to me. And that might not even be last place this year because I, I got thoughts on other teams. <laughs> yeah. What, what are you most impressed with Zach Arnett since his time taken over? Because I, I thought the, the way he kept the recruiting class together was mm-hmm. great. The SEC experience he got in his coaching staff, uh, keeping key defensive players from leaving the program. There's a lot of things to like about Zach Arnett. What, what has impressed you the most? I thought what impressed me the most was just how he handled the, the changing of the staff in the offseason. I think there was, you know, and, and I was part of this group of you know, the hot boards that come out when he's named head coach of, you know, who's going to be his offensive coordinator. Everyone was looking at air raid guys, you know, trying to you know, keep the staff together, keep kind of the, the similar system. And I think, you know, Zach, 
looked at the mirror and he said, you know, like it's tragic circumstances. No one, no one thought that that was how he was going to become, you know, a head coach in the SEC. I think everyone saw it coming maybe down the road, but you know, this early and, and under those circumstances, obviously unpredictable. And I think he looked at it. And he said, you know, it, it's his team, right? Like he, it has to be Zach Garnett's team. It can't be. You know what would Mike Leach want me to do? What would what would he do? It you got to approach it your own way. If you're if you're thinking you know down this other route or, or second guessing, it's it's going to take you down the wrong path, right? And I think he looked at it. He said, doing this type of offense, a more balanced attack with Kevin Barbe is the way to go. You know, moving on, moving away from that air raid, he felt was the way to go. And I think for a guy who has no head coaching experience to make a decision like that um, after replacing a legendary coach, right? Someone who coached for two decades, um, as a head coach coached much longer than two decades overall. Um, it, it was really impressive to see, you know, his confidence in, in doing that and, and not really, you know, second-guessing what people were going to say about his decisions. I mean, Mike, huge Mike Leach fans, uh, and, and obviously a, a huge tragedy there at the end of the yep. season. But we're, we're seeing a lot of tributes. I mean, Sankey started out without a tie. Uh, uh, Texas Tech's coach had the lining of the of the jacket. Is is there something that, that you're hearing, maybe some sort of tribute that Mississippi State's going to be doing this year? Not, nothing that I've heard, you know, necessarily for like a whole season type plan or something yeah. like that. I mean, I'm sure that. Will Rogers wear an eye patch on the field? <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. I don't recommend it, but. <laughs> or a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Minshew style. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you'll probably see that, that first home game. Because you know, keep in mind, when, when Leach died in, in December, first game after that was the Reliquist Bowl, and then it was the offseason, right? So they yeah. haven't had a home game since this past season. So I think you're going to see uh, something emotional come in or, or some sort of tribute. Um, you know, at Davis Wade Stadium when, when they welcome Southeastern Louisiana. Um, you, you still see it, I mean, around Starkville everywhere, though. Like, people yeah. still got their private flags out. Like, yeah. there's a we, – we had a um, – Mississippi State had, a like, a recruiting camp a, a few weeks ago or, or a couple months ago, I should say, um, you know, at Davis Wade Stadium. And I was in there, you know, watching these high schoolers, you know, in, interact with these coaches and do things. And you look up kind of where some of the suites are, and there's one suite that still has, like, the Mike Leach flag, I mean, in, in, you know, on the wall and they're on the, on the window or whatever. Um, you, you see it all over Starkville still. Like, yeah. his, his presence, for someone who was only there, you know, three years, his impact was, was you know, felt heavily um, in his time there. So I think you'll see throughout the year tributes and, and little things like that and, and maybe something a little bit grander. Uh, in that first game uh, yeah. for him. What's the biggest question you have for this team at this point? Is offensive line, safety, tight end? Safety. 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 They're, they're yeah. losing a lot of production at safety. You know, the defensive front and the three three five that that they run and they're going to keep with you know Matt Brock just being promoted from linebackers coach to DC, um, you know they they kept a lot of the the defensive front there you know Jet Johnson Nathaniel mm-hmm. Watson guys you know Jaden Crumedy was here, um, you know I'm confident in what that group can do but you look at maybe just the secondary as a whole I mean not even just safety that safety you're looking for three new starters and so that's a that's a thing in and of itself but you know at DB two you're losing Emmanuel Forbes right that's a big loss and. You know, you, a couple of years ago, you lose uh, Martin Emerson, and Forbes has to step up be the, be the number one guy. And he did that exceptionally, right? I mean, yep. he broke records. Now he's gone. Uh, Camion Richardson was the number two guy. He's got to step up and be the number one. Can he make that jump? So you got a lot of questions in the secondary, which remember in 2021, you know, when they were kind of up and down, um, I think they finished 7-5 and five, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, kind of up and down, a bit inconsistent. A big reason was some of the struggles that they had in the secondary. So I'm going to be interested to see – what that unit looks like this year because I think it could dictate a lot of what this defense looks like. Any new wrinkles or anything different you think with the defense with, you know, Zach Arnett obviously, Matt Brockback. I think most people assume same old, same old, but 
by changing the offense, by being a little bit more ball control, hopefully not as many passes. Yeah. Does that aid the defense? Or are they going to add new wrinkles? Because I would imagine I – know, I know he let Arnett kind of be the head coach of the defense. Right. But I would even imagine there was still some limitations on, on what he wanted him to do. Now there's no limitations on the side of the ball. We all love Mike Leach, but yeah. the defense has been the stronger part of Mississippi State yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah, no, the defense has been good, and, and they have so many players coming back, like I said, on that front. You know, I think the the scheme itself, it, it'll be pretty similar. I mean, they're going to run a 3-3-5. It's going to be pretty similar to what you've seen in the past. I don't think – now, obviously, we haven't seen it outside of the Rely Quest Bowl. I mean, Matt Brock has only really won to de- run the defense for one game. I don't think he's going to be as aggressive as Arnett was. I think Arnett had some pretty you know free reign of, you know, be as aggressive as you want. I think now, you know – Arnett's not running the defense, but he'll be in Brock's ear a bit more, and I think Brock himself is a bit more reserved than maybe Arnett was with some of that pressure. So maybe you'll see a, a, a little bit more conservative play, but but don't be surprised if, if a conservative approach isn't working, if Arnett's in the headset being like, hey, blitz them, <laughs> send them. <laughs> now, a lot of state fans like to look at the schedule and say, hey, we got eight home games. Yeah. But I think more important than that, their four away games are all winnable. Yep. South Carolina – Arkansas, I think. Arkansas, A&M, A&M, and Auburn. And they've owned A&M, which is the toughest of those four, I right. would say. So, I mean, are the pieces in place, schedule-wise at least, for this to be – I'm not sitting here saying they're going to win 10, 11 games, but could it, does the schedule set up for them to be arguably the biggest surprise well, in the SEC? I kind of want to piggyback off that, too, because you look in September, they've got LSU, mm-hmm. they've got Alabama. It, it's not, it ramps up pretty quick, yep. too. Yeah, I, the the schedule is set up in a way that they can have a big year, right? They can have another nine win season. You mentioned they eight home games and and the winnable road games. I was literally talking to uh, someone yesterday, being like, if state, you know, those four road games that we mentioned, A and M, Arkansas, Auburn, and South Carolina, if they went four zero, if they went zero and four, if they went two and two on those, I don't think you'd be surprised with any result, right? Like they they've shown that they can win on the road. Like you said a couple of years ago, they went into A and M and won. Uh, they they came back from down twenty five at Auburn a couple of years ago. They they've, you know, they should have won at Arkansas a couple of years ago if not for the whole you know the whole kicking debacle, which everyone <laughs> famously remembers, right? And and then you know South Carolina, we'll see what they look like this year. Um, it, it, the pieces are in place if they can be consistent. If this offensive scheme can can be picked up, you know, quick enough, and the players can get comfortable in it. Like you said, though, the problem is. Do I think this team can succeed with Kevin Barbe's OC? Yes. Do I think he's going to be a good offensive coordinator? Yes. It's still tough to implement a new offense over the course of one offseason, right? Like you saw, um, you know, in 2020, the air raid was not compared to what it was in, in 2022, right? Like th- yeah. there was a big difference, and, and COVID plays a part into that too. But, um, you know, I think not, now looking at it, it's still going to be tough to implement a new offense. How will they perform in some of those tough games early, right? Like their offense, I, I would imagine, will be better late in the year than it is early in the year, just yeah. as you get more comfortable, get game experience. But you're thrown into the fire there, like you mentioned. You got LSU early on. You got Arizona as a non-con game early on too at home. Yeah. Like it's not a, it's not an, a, you know, a walk in the park schedule in September to, to let you kind of ease into things, right? It's it's a tough schedule, and um, you know, I think that that's that to some extent, state fans are probably kind of bummed that that LSU game is early. It's an 11 a.m. game early in the season. You know, states competed with LSU the the past few years. They you know they win that game in 2020, in 2021. You know, they make some mistakes at home that you know probably should have. Shot, probably should have been more in that game than it looked like. Yeah. I mean, last year in Baton Rouge, they kind of just fall apart there in the fourth quarter. They have the muff pun and all that, and 
that's probably a game they feel like they should have won. They led it for three quarters, right? So it's like they, they've shown they can compete with some of these bigger teams with the exception of Alabama, who they, you know, for whatever reason just can't score against. Um, but, but like, you look at what they've done in the past few years against these teams, they can compete, right? So it's right. now it's a, it's a matter of, you know, will, will everything fall into place? Will they feel comfortable enough with this offense early in the year to compete, you know, with a powerhouse team, or at least, you know, for this season, appears to be a powerhouse team in LSU. How, how, can, they, how can they compete early in the year? I think that's where your question marks lie. Yeah. You may have just answered this, but with uh, talking to Alabama and LSU, but both at home, you got to pick one. Which one Mississippi State more likely to beat? And keep in mind, the reason I ask that is because I may be on an island here, but I, I like LSU to win the SEC. I think they're going to win the national championship. I think they could be that good. Don't let that sway your answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just well, I just finished my preseason ballot, and I guess I don't I don't know if I'm allowed to say what I voted yet, but I voted LSU to win the West. Um, I picked Georgia to win the SEC as a whole, but you know right. that's not a really Most hot people take. Will. Yeah, and yeah. that's but I but I see where you're coming from. I think LSU this year is is legit. Like they're the real deal. They're really good. I think everything they return. I mean, like. They've got big names coming back. This isn't like, you know, they got a five-star who was decent last year who's going to step up in a big role. No, they got, they got guys who proved it last year that are coming back, you know, with an SEC West title already under their belt. But with that being said, I would say State has a better chance to beat LSU just on the basis of, for whatever reason, the, the Alabama logo, like, when states lined up against Bama, it, they just don't look like the same team. I mean, yeah. a couple of years ago, Bama comes into Starkville and just beats the brakes out of them. And then, you know, last year, state state scores a garbage time touchdown for their only points in the game. Um, you know, in a game where the defense, you know, relatively quieted. Um, you know, Bryce Young, right? Alabama wasn't wasn't didn't have that great of an offensive game. I think they scored in the twenties or something like that. They had like less than a hundred rushing yards, which never happens at Alabama. Um, so for whatever reason, state just hasn't been able to compete with Alabama. Um, you know, more than the last few years, it's been about a decade of just being, you know, not competitive in games against Alabama. So we'll, we'll see. You know, I, I think LSU is the better team, and they're the tougher opponent. Um, but for whatever reason, State's been able to compete with them. So I'll say, I think the LSU game will be closer. But we'll see what happens with Alabama's quarterback competition. I guess, right? That's the biggest question. What was what was State's reaction when they found out divisions were going away? <laughs> um, thrilled. <laughs> uh, have you seen next year's schedule? <laughs> I mean, I, and I think that's an under-talked-about under, uh, discussion. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, these teams stand to benefit so much mm-hmm. from not having to play the West Gauntlet year in and year right. out. Right. I mean, next year they're playing, it's like Missouri and uh, Florida at home, and um, it's slipping my mind exactly what the schedule is, but you're not facing Alabama. You're not facing Auburn. Like, you're it gets easier. I, I think LSU's not on next year's schedule. Like, it, it's going to be, from a fan perspective, there's the good and the bad, right? You love the rivalries. Right. You love, you know, every other year LSU's coming to Starkville. Every other year, you know, State's going to Tuscaloosa. Like, that, that's that's fun, right? And that's been going on for, you know, decades upon decades of, of these rivalries. But at the same time, you look at the flip side, and you're like, well, now you get to see Florida come in more often. You know, Florida hasn't played State since, like, you know, Dan Mullen first left or something like that. Like, they haven't seen Florida. You get to go to Gainesville now. Like, I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a benefit for the fans in the long term. I think fans will... We'll enjoy the fun in that, and I think if you're state of saying, "Hey, you know, you don't got to face these teams every year," you'd be thrilled. I mean, and, and the schedule—I mean, with the way the the schedule fell too for state of you know getting Tennessee and Georgia next season, like you're still facing an equivalent of like Alabama and LSU, right? right. Like, you still got your juggernauts, but but at the bottom of it, I mean, like 
you're facing Missouri instead of Arkansas. I know you guys yeah. have talked about the Missouri <laughs> Arkansas being like a better program that just can't be Missouri for whatever. Like what, uh, I saw that clip. It wasn't us saying it; it was others. But yeah, yes, that yes. was definitely us. Um, but we, but we when know you what look at it, like there. if your state, you'd rather face Missouri than Arkansas, right? Yeah. Like yeah. Our Arkansas recruits players out of Mississippi. <laughs> like they, Arkansas, I think is the, the more talented team. Everyone's like attacking Missouri. <laughs> right. I know. Poor Mizzou. Poor drink. You know, I was messing with uh, Ben Porter who covers South Carolina. We were talking literally yesterday out at a, a bar in Nashville, we were like, so you realize Drink is like 4-0 against South Carolina, <laughs> right? Like, at what point does Ben Portner write the story of uh, Drink owns South Carolina? <laughs> so I was like, let's see what happens this year. But no, we duck on, people duck on Missouri and, and Vandy and the SEC, but you know, I think at the end of the day, right now, you'd rather face those teams than in, than in Arkansas yeah. and, uh, you know, and in Alabama and in LSU and, and A&M, you know, Auburn, teams like that. I think it's just a reality, and I think you know, going away from divisions, I think it's a good thing for Mississippi State. Yep. But I will say, I think State benefits from it staying an eight-game SEC schedule than a nine-game. Right, right. For obvious reasons. I mean, you're adding another SEC game. It's going to make it tougher. And you kind of look at, you know, the SEC of – your extra game is probably going to be a tough one, right? Like you're right. not you're not going to get thrown in with you know Vandy, you know, on your schedule every year. So I think State benefits from the eight game schedule, um, but 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 does benefit from the no divisions. Well, really appreciate you stopping by, yeah. Steph. Before you go, can you tell the audience where can they find all your work and follow you on social media? Yeah, at com. We, we cover State, and, and David Ecker covers Ole Miss for us. And on social media, I'm uh, at s k r a j i s n i k three on on Twitter and. Um, can't remember what my thread's name is, but I'm on there too. If people want to follow me on there, it's like I think it's like Steph K R A J or something like that. So find find me on threads too if you're into that kind of stuff. All right, appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me. All right, last but not least, Vanderbilt, Clark Lee and company made the short trip. I think I saw Clark Lee there every day. He, I think he just walked in. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he knew Tuesday was his day, but I swear I saw him there Monday, Tuesday, I think Wednesday. And uh, he may have not been a lot of a lot of people go to media days. They don't stay on Thursday. We stay till Thursday. So uh, Clark Lee, of course, landed a contract extension. Very excited about the direction of Vanderbilt's program. Snack, snap that embarrassing SEC conference losing streak last fall with two big wins over Kentucky and Florida. Got to keep that momentum going. Here's Clark Lee on building a winner, playing to an identity. They have to do it differently. More than anybody else, they have to do it differently at Vanderbilt. And the mess they've inherited, they are miles and miles ahead of where they were. They still have miles and miles to go, though. Tyler Shaw with KBTX and College Station. Coach, last year you talked about the the expectation being uh, Vanderbilt competing for SEC championships. I guess how do you feel like you are on that trajectory and do you feel like the team and the guys have kind of bought into that? I don't believe that you – should ever be a part of something that doesn't strive for the highest levels of success. And, and yet, we can't have big goals and big vision and not have airtight process, right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, it's another thing to actualize. And I don't want to be a part of a program that doesn't aspire to the highest levels of success. Um, and I know that Vanderbilt football is capable of that. Good things take time, but this will be as good of a team as we've had to this point. And, and again, that doesn't guarantee us anything. I just said in the big room, I mean, our margins are really thin. And we have to play to an identity and, and execute and limit our opponent and be really smart in our design 
or else, you know, we're not going to be as successful as we could be. And yet, if we do those things to a high level, we've proven the ability to be competitive and win in this league. And for us, it's, it's having the, the telescope, the big picture vision, but then shifting quickly to the microscope and what we're doing in our process day in, day out, ultimately to find out how good this team can be. And, you know, as we sit right now, we've got great designs on great success. But what I know to be true about any college football journey is there's going to be adversity. What I'm excited about is I love the people that I work with. So I get to problem solve with people that I care about, players and coaches and administration and um, anything you do in life. You, you want to strive after the highest level. You want to do it with people you care about. Uh, you want to look to your left and your right and feel like, you know, these people are making me better and they're challenging me. And, and that's what makes me so excited for this season. You know, I, I, this, is, this is the most excited as I've ever been for a fall. And it's not because I think it's going to be easy, you know. It's actually because I think it's going to be really challenging. But the depth of relationship and the depth of authenticity we've grown in our building um, is something that I'm really proud to be a part of. Right side, third row. Nick Alvarez. Let's round out the show with a great interview with Chris Lee from Vandy Sports. Really appreciate talking to Chris. He's one of the nicest guys in the SEC. Very kind with his time. Going a little deep dive here of the Vanderbilt Commodores down at SEC Media Days. We're here with Chris Lee, Vandy Sports. Big year for the Commodores. Year three under Clark Lee. They said it going into spring. The goal this year is to make the postseason. Did they accomplish that goal? They might. It's going to depend on the schedule. And I think they got a good open. They've got three of the first four they're going to be favored. The weight game in week three yep. in Winston-Salem is going to be a big one because they'll be an underdog. But Wake won't have Sam Hartman. And Wake will still be good, probably favored. But that's a game that if you're going to get to a bowl, you need to win. And, and it's winnable. And, and road venues have not been – I guess as troublesome for them is is home, and you know the situation yeah. there. But I, I think if if they can get four zero, they've got a shot. And what'll be interesting is game five will be Kentucky. Mm-hmm. That's a game they won in Lexington a year ago, and then game six will be Missouri. That's one that they lost last year, but they were maybe a first down in the last two yep. minutes from winning. So I mean, I'm not saying they're going six and zero, but th- there's more of a path for them for a good start than there almost ever is. What SEC game do you think is most winnable? Is it the Kentucky or Missouri? Because uh, another one that I like, and I know fans are optimistic there, but I, I'm thinking that Auburn game. Late in the season, first year under Hugh Freeze. Everybody, when they say Hugh Freeze, they just say, oh, he's too, he beat Nick Saban twice. They don't say he lost to Vanderbilt twice. They don't say he's got a losing record in the SEC. And I'm not sitting here saying he's a losing coach, he's terrible, but year one, complete makeover of that staff and really the, the, the roster. I don't think that's a, that game's a given either. Yeah, that, that's one that I would circle. I think that – I don't think Auburn is what Auburn's been. It's, right. a, it's a little bit of a rebuild. Brian Harson didn't recruit at a really high level. They're changing offenses. But I said this, I would rather have Auburn the first half of the season than the second half mm-hmm. when they're getting used to Hugh Freeze and, and the ways of doing things because sometimes late in the year it clicks. Mm-hmm. And so they've got that game later in the year. Yeah. It is in Nashville, which probably helps. But – that's the one caveat I'd put. But, yeah, I would put that on the list. And Florida. Florida and Gainesville, they've, they've won down there a time or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they won last year. Florida, I think, is probably a bottom three or four team in the SEC. Some might disagree. But I would think those are 
two more on the back half of the schedule that if you're going to say, let's say they win seven or eight by some miracle, and I'm not saying they will, but if they did, I think those would be two that they would get. Mm-hmm. What, what has impressed you the most in two years under Clark Lee? I think the change of the culture. I mean, it's been – he took over a wreck. And, and usually when Vandy makes a coaching change, it's not a great situation. But that was worse than normal. Yeah. And I, I think coming in – and he tells stories of the first meeting that he ever did of he would – kids wouldn't make eye contact. They were slouched over in their seats. And he told a story, I think, last year in spring practice. He said, we went out one day and – We've got a Saturday scrimmage. I've got a bunch of kids on the field, uh, you know, two or three hours before the scrimmage. And he said, I picked up the phone to, to go yell at a coach to say, hey, we, we're supposed to have these guys sleeping in. And, and found out it was a player-led workout before scrimmage. And that was kind of one of his first indicators that he felt he was changing the culture. Last year they won five games, which was, you know, the losses weren't pretty, but in the wins column, that in my mind put them a little bit ahead of schedule. I just think that the – the speed of progress and culture change was at a time where it was just morale was through the bottom of the floor yeah. bad. I think to me to be able to, to get kids excited about it again was was big. Can, can I ask you about the, the, the Ray Davis situation? For, for a lot of people that aren't paying attention, it's, it wasn't that he wanted to leave Vanderbilt. It almost felt like he had to. Can you kind of explain to the listeners the, that situation and how that led to him in Kentucky? Yeah, I think that was – I mean, sometimes it's, it's not easy to get in grad school there. Yeah. Um, you know, and I had – this is a baseball analogy, but I had somebody tell me, hey, look, if you take the, the top 25 kids in the portal in, in baseball, they, they might be able to get five of them in. Yeah. And, and baseball players are, you know, probably a little more academically minded than your average football kid. Um, grad school is another thing. There's been a lot of times they, they could have kept kids. They couldn't get them into grad school. That's always been a little bit of an issue. I I'm told it's better than it's than it's been before, and I to throw stones at Vandy for not getting Ray Davis in grad school might be unfair because I don't know what his grades were right, or weren't. Right. But you know, look, it's more of an issue for them than it is other schools. I mean, he was a fine player for them, best player they had on offense a year ago, and I think he'll fit in well at Kentucky. Yeah. How well is Vanderbilt positioned in the NIL, NIL world? Because I, I mean, it just depends. School to school, it's different. But I, I think I've heard them say, you know, we're going to prioritize the guys on the roster, which was the intent of the whole thing anyway. But we all know the other schools in this this conference, we're not going to do it that way. But uh, do you think they are positioned, at, at least maybe just in philosophy alone, to be successful in the SEC? Well, I mean, look, comparatively, I'm, I'm guessing they're 14 of 14, but right. it's more than I would have thought. Um, you know, they, they got a couple of basketball players. They got one back, and they won a – allegedly a, a war for another transfer, which, I, I mean, it's been a few hell is frozen over moments on the beat the last <laughs> few years. Um, one, of, one of them has seen them spending the money that they're doing on facilities. Um, you know, you walk over there right now, and there's a, there's a giant hole in what used to be the closed-in zone. There's going to be two really nice buildings. And I'm, I'm not saying they got the nicest facilities in the SEC, but, Mike, I'm guessing they're spending about a half billion dollars on everything. It might be a little bit more, and some of that might be inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, live in times where things are a lot more expensive than when they started this. <laughs> but between that and, and being able to pay, I mean, they could have lost C.J. Taylor mm-hmm. last year. They didn't. They could have lost Will Shepard last year. They didn't. Right. They could have lost A.J. Swan last year. They didn't. No, they did lose um, a starting defensive back, Jajias Richard. They lost him to Miami. I think that had something to do with it, too. 
Um, and, and they're not going to, you know, I think they lost a couple kids in recruiting that way too. But the fact that they're spending anything and they got boosters on board and the school's kind of behind it, um, you know, th- that's that's not something I would have predicted three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what do you think the facility upgrades, specifically the, the stadium, what do you think that does bare minimum for, for Vanderbilt? Is it is it respect? Is it, you know, at least we're spending something to, to show future players that, hey, we are committed to, to turning this thing around? Well, I mean, it, it's ironic because the minute that, that they do that, here comes NIL and all these other things. And you can, <laughs> you know, facilities used to be the thing. That's right, what right. got kids yeah. there. And now it's like, facilities let's <laughs> let's go get the cash um but but they had to do something well it's, it's kind of like saying you need a you need a car to get to work right yeah and and okay well you need a car we just all need a car well what what if mine's got holes in the floor and you can see the road and you know you're driving a lamborghini and that's the sec you at least need to to get a more serviceable vehicle yeah um, you know for the optics if for nothing else um so, yeah, I mean, it's going to have to make a difference. I mean, they've had nothing. They've That stadium, they basically built it and or upgraded it in, what was it, 1980, and they have, really haven't done anything to it other than rip out the turf every few years and, yeah. and paint the, the walls. I mean, the bleachers are probably the same ones that have been there for 40 years. Um, they needed to do something. It's going to look a lot better. It won't be probably till 2025 until it's done and – I don't know why they couldn't get it done faster. To me, they should have. A&M rebuilt the whole stadium in, in a year right. for $450 million. I, I don't know why. <laughs> now, now, look, it's more of a challenge here than it is in College Station because look around right. you see the construction cranes literally out the window that I'm looking through as I'm looking at you. It, it's a little harder to get construction here because it's, it's everywhere. Right. Uh, but it, that's my one criticism. I wish they would have done it faster. But – like I said, if you'd said three or four years ago they're going to spend that kind of money, I would have said you're crazy. Mm. I know Shane's a huge A.J. Swan fan. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is his year, ain't it? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, sometimes you see kids that have got a lot of pressure on them that, that sophomore year. Right. Um, and I'm not just talking Vandy, just in general. It, sometimes it just crashes. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a lot of pressure. Um, you know, I've, I've dropped the Jay Cutler label on him in terms of arm strength, uh-huh. and, and maybe that's unfair, but – I mean, look, I've been going to practices there for 20 years. I've seen every quarterback they've had. He's the only guy that's in that ballpark. Okay. Um, and he's not – He's not. that's that's probably unfair because he's not Jay athletic. Right. Jay, was a, Jay Cutler was an all-SEC – or excuse me, first-team All-State shortstop in high school. He was All-State basketball player. Right. And, of course, you know what he was in football. And, and A.J. Swan's not that kind of athlete. He's just a football kid. But the, the confidence in the arm, I mean – I watched them last year. They went to Northern Illinois, and, and at the time it was – Northern Illinois was probably better rated preseason than it ended up being. Right. But, it's, but it's September, and sometimes teams are closer to being good. When, when they go up there and they're down, I don't know, 10 or 14 points, and he leads them from behind, and he throws four touchdowns and no picks. He makes a throw to Ray Davis that you can look up. I mean, there's about a window about that big, and he threw the ball probably 40 yards in the air. Right. And, and when you're doing that in your first start on the road – I don't care if it's Northern Illinois or, or who, that was a big-time throw. And, and that game got my attention, getting the start, having all the pressure on you, leading them from come-behind win. He only threw two picks all year. Yeah. Um, now, health's going to be an issue. He had trouble staying healthy a year ago, and so I'm going to keep an eye on that, but but the tools are there. Yeah. How big of a loss do you think Mike, Mike Wright will be? 
I don't think it'll be a big loss. I, I think that they wanted Swan to be their guy yeah. ahead of camp. I mean, I was hearing talk about that already. They, they've got – everybody forgets they've got Ken Seals, mm-hmm. yeah. who in 2020 started the whole year, had two or three 300-yard passing games, pretty accurate. I, frankly, I thought Seals might have had a better spring than Swan did. But Swan's their guy, right. and understandably so. There's a bigger upside there. But uh, he's a kid who's stuck around. He's in year four. He's played for a bunch of OCs. They're finally getting the same one back-to-back, which is going to help everybody. Uh, but I think that, look, they're not going to run a system with A.J. Swan that's going to be ground heavy. Yeah. With, with Mike, he was a 10, 600-meter guy. That's a different universe in terms of speed. A.J. Swan only runs when he has to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, I don't know. To me, it's it was apples and oranges what they were going to do with those guys. And they've got a guy that when they go to Seals, if they go to Seals, he's a lot more like the guy that's their starter. Well, obviously, Swan got banged up a little bit last year. Have you noticed anything uh, in camp? Maybe he's put some weight on. He's moving a little bit better. I mean, you don't think health's going to be like an ongoing concern there, do you? Well, I mean, his issues last year where he got hit in the head right. a few times. Um, you know, and they, they blocked decently well. They, they allowed fewer sacks than they did the year before. Um, I don't know how much that was getting getting rid of the ball faster or not. I, I think they just protected better in general. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure he put on a little bit of weight. I didn't, I didn't yeah. notice the weights last year and this year because most freshmen do. But, um, I, you know, I, that was just a matter. That wasn't an arm issue or a leg issue. It was just, you know, you getting hit in the head. Yeah. Any school you're going you're gonna to be held out. I got you. You think this is the year we start to see some of that defense that I thought we were getting under Clark Lee? And, and admittedly, I mean, what he inherited, it's not like he could just come in and snap his fingers and the defense was going to be great. But they've been awful at times. Let's just call it what it is. Yeah. Do you think they take that step in year three? Well, I mean, they've been awful for three or four years running. They gave up, what, 35 two years ago and 36 last year, something like that. It, it's been bad. They gave up. I think they gave up eight yards of throw last year, a little bit over that. And, and I say per throw, that, that takes sack yardage out of it. Um, so when, when the ball actually got in the air, it was even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're going to have to be better. Uh, yeah. I just don't think they had a lot of personnel, to be honest. They, they've not had the speed in the secondary. I don't think that the rest of the league's got, and they haven't had a pass rush. And that, that's a really bad combination. <laughs> when you can't get to the quarterback and your guys aren't as fast as the guys covering. And, and, like, you saw that blow up several times last year. Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, the teams that could really get after you. Yeah. But then there were some times like Kentucky, where, where Kentucky gave up, what, 41 sacks a year ago. They got to, to Will Levis. They made stuff happen. They won a game because of that. I think they're better on the defensive line, no question. They've also got a lot of guys coming back, like Nate Clifton, um, Christian. They're not guy. They're not household names in the SEC, but there's value of guys in the league where you can put, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten guys on the field that, that don't kill you, and that they're getting more to that spot. They've got some younger guys. I think are going to be after the passer better, and so I think that's their hope. Is I still have questions about their secondary safety. I think they'll be okay. Corners where I'm yeah. really concerned. For, I don't even know who it's going to be yet. I mean, it could be B.J. Anderson in that other spot. It could it could be any one of I don't know, maybe four sophomores. Yeah. Um, and and that's a, their recruiting was better. That that class they brought in two years ago, they targeted that as our get better, get more athletic class. But you see a lot of dudes that are first rounders in the NFL that that first year starting they struggle. Yeah. Uh, there's just a learning curve. So to me, it's that, and can they get a pass rush this year? I think the second one they'll they'll answer better. The first one we'll wait and see. I got you. But one thing I really like about Clark Lee, it seems like his teams at Vanderbilt play better at the end of the season than they certainly do at the start. That, that's everyone's goal, but yeah. it's easier said than done. 
uh, I think a lot of people are sleeping on just how, how much better Vanderbilt was at the end of the year. Because of the Tennessee loss, it was so lopsided. But, heck, they had a two-game winning streak in conference play. I mean, there was a lot of people <laughs> thought Vanderbilt yeah. was going to win that game because yeah. Tennessee yeah. was just got upset. They've got nothing to play for. Uh, do you think people around the league are, are kind of sleeping on, on the momentum that uh, Clark Lee's built? It's hard to say. I mean, you could argue that maybe – Maybe Florida and Kentucky. I mean, because, look, when they go to Lexington and win that game, they're on a 26-game SEC losing streak. Now, they come close. They Again, they had a shot at Missouri yeah. a couple weeks before. So there were some there were some warning signs. But to me, when you've lost 26 straight games, yeah. and every time you play a game in your house, there's more people there rooting against you than for you, and all the other stuff. I mean, I mean that's a lot of stuff to overcome, right? And so teams might have been overlooking them, but they had enemy number one looking in the mirror, too. Um, I mean, I would think that that's going to make it easier if you're filling the blank with whoever they play. You can just point the film last year and say, hey, guys, uh, they might be picked last in the league, but Kentucky and Florida thought that too, and they both got beat. Right. I think if you're an opposing staff, that makes it a little bit easier sell than, than when they lost 26 in a row. I mean, you could say that all, all you want, that, hey, you got to watch out for these guys, but when you got a losing streak like that, how seriously are 20-year-old players going to take right. you I don't know so I think that'll get people's attention but it's also going to get them confidence too and confidence is a big thing for them uh, they just didn't have much of it so it's going to be interesting to see how that all washes out did you come on the field after that Florida game I was looking for you I didn't see you there I, I, I can't remember if I was <laughs> down there or I mean usually we're getting to the press conference and yeah. just trying to make we don't miss it yeah so I, I think I was down there for a little bit yeah but that's cool. yeah it was yeah do you have any reaction to uh, NCAA going easy on Tennessee and, and feel free to give us your hottest of hot take <laughs> I mean the rest of the SEC seems like what the hell I mean I guess we can just openly cheat now and there's no penalties well look I've wondered this and I said it the day that everything dropped and, and whenever and I was like okay how do you now all these things that were legal yesterday are now, you know, there's no speed limit. Yeah. Right. So I've always kind of wondered, like, the question I had for a few years is, like, how are they going to reconcile those two things? Um, the NCA is also, I think, when's the last time the NCA took a really bold stand on anything in the NIL era? I mean, it's, it's much different now. Yeah. And you hear the thing about not wanting to punish the kids. Um. I don't know, the, the fine kind of seemed like that's the thing that, that satisfies everybody. Right. I mean, I'm sh- fans don't care, right? No. They're not paying the $8 million fine. <laughs> right. Um, and they but, remember the wins. You can vacate them. Yeah, that, that does take nothing, them away. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I heard something interesting this morning. The, the league lobbied really hard for Tennessee not to, not to lose a bowl game, mm-hmm. and they didn't. I, that, that seemed like the probably to please everybody. Yeah punishment other than maybe the other 13 fan bases <laughs> but yeah I mean I, I didn't know what was going to happen I, I do wonder if if NIL is not a thing now does it look differently but yeah but it is what it is yeah. last thing I got for you Chris really appreciate your time you do a great job Vandy Sports Southeastern 14 it, the fans that love this show they'll love Southeastern 14 you cover all SEC you guys are doing a great job are you changing the name though it's 16 now <laughs> Yeah, we, we uh, you know, fortunately, in one of the few times I thought ahead, yeah. uh, we, we bought Southeastern 16 <laughs> nice, uh, when nice. we founded the company in 2021. 
No, look, I didn't. I didn't know it was going to be that quick. <laughs> we, we, I think we bought eighteen and twenty just just Uh-oh. in case. But let's um, buy twenty-four. Yeah, just, they're just yeah. thinking ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> Here's a lesson in branding. I was having this conversation with somebody this morning because it's the second time I've been asked that. Um, it, because like, look, the internet's been around for a, for a minute now, yeah. and, and so to get a domain name for something as popular as SEC football, I was like, you need something that's going to catch people's attention and not be that long and, and whatever so I thought that's, that's pretty good because if, if you're looking at it that's not probably not too close to get you sued by the league but <laughs> everybody knows what you're talking about right yeah um, you know and I you know the, the minute you stake your brand with that in there it's like ah maybe I could have made a better <laughs> choice but I spent the whole off season thinking about what would it have been and Every time you look, whatever you think of is taken. So, yeah. I guess we did okay. Hey, before you go, can you tell our audience where's the uh, easiest way to find all your work? Yeah, uh, Vandy coverage. Go to VandySports.com. We've got a podcast, so we usually upload that to the website. And then uh, Southeastern 14, go to YouTube, search Southeastern 14. That's where we park most of our stuff there. Um, and just looking forward to a great year of covering both. It'll be fascinating. Mm. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you so thank much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah, that was great. All right, guys, so that's all I got on this episode of the show. Another monster show here, trying to get through all these interviews and trying to get all the content out to all you guys. You probably It's probably going to take a month for some of you to listen to this week's worth of shows, but uh, these interviews were so great. I don't want any of it to go to waste. I uh, really, really, really appreciate everybody showing up at SEC Media Days, giving us their time. Really appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in to all the cousins out there we'll see you on the next one and cousin shane he'll be back before you know it hey buddy this beer's for you mike and cousin shane that sec podcast loves the pirate and the pirate loves That SEC podcast, Hail State.